الحمد لله وحده والصلاه والسلام على من لا نبي بعد اما بعد وقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الحمد لله وحده نصر امدا سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Alhamdulillah, we're going to begin now our Dora Quran, Dora Tafsir. Before I begin actually doing the Tafsir of Quran, I have a few introductory announcements to make and a few things that I want you to keep in mind during the course of these 30 days. First, by way of announcement, number one, is that anybody who is sitting in front of the projector, this is for the men's area, anybody who is sitting in front of the projector must turn their cell phone off, not silent, absolutely off if you have any important missed calls or sms's that you wish to receive while your phone is on sound then you will have to sit behind the projector or place your phone behind the projector every is absolutely required because we are broadcasting this online and when you're when you receive an sms or a call your that cell phone signal is going to disrupt this whole setup Again I say if you are sitting anywhere in front of the projector projector this way you must turn your cell phone absolutely off not silent not in vibrator absolutely powered off if you wish to receive an sms or a missed call then you have to sit or place your phone behind the projector second thing is that uh, some of the women and few of the men had asked me which translation I will not necessarily be sticking to any particular translation but for those of you who wish to keep a translation in front of you so the translation we are recommending is this English translation called the meaning of the noble Quran by Mufti Muhammad Taqi Usmani and we have ordered several sets for you which we're selling to you at cost upstairs and when those run out if there are additional people and the men and women who want to order it then they can place an order in advance but that is the translation we would like you to keep in front of you And if you're sitting behind the projector it should be on silent. You're in front of the projector as far as I'm concerned. Bankan shamash. Right? If you're sitting anywhere it has to be off, off, not silent. Take enough anybody I have to say this yet a third time. If any between the fireplace and that board, the white board and the fireplace if you're anywhere between there and me, you must turn your phone entirely off. Entirely off. If you want to keep it on silent or vibrator please sit behind the projector. All right? If you're sitting in yes, if you're sitting behind the projector, keep it on silent. Keep it on silent. Okay? So that tarjuma is here available for both the men and the women. Third thing is that in the morning from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. my own teacher Sheikh Maulana Sifrahman Al-Qasim Damat Barakatu is teaching Urdu Dora Tafsir here in this very same place and that is open also to both men and women. And Hamdan not only is he a graduate of the Madrasas in Pakistan but he spent five years studying in Ummul Qura University in Makkah Mukarramah and he's considered to be one of the more accomplished scholars in this country. And I've done this specifically for the students of Zainab Academy because many times they want to bring their mothers and aunties and khalas and mamanis and chachis and tais but to our talks but because i speak in a very strong and fast and thick american accent 
so many of the relatives feel left out. So what I want is that all the boys and all the girls and the men and the women should encourage all of those men and women in your families who certainly may know English but are more comfortable with Urdu would perhaps and most likely enjoy translation and explanation of Qur'an al-Karim in Urdu, we would like you to strongly encourage them to come from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Right? So all your mothers and your sisters and your brothers and your fathers and your uncles and aunts and your friends and friends of family and family of friends, you should try to encourage them to come to that one. All right? For that purpose, then there are some additional flyers that are available with the women, with Dr. Fazia, and there will be some available with the men if you want to distribute any flyers to that effect. Now as far as studying Qur'an al-Karim, number one, in our deen there is a lot of adab towards Qur'an. There is no limit towards adab. And one of the great misfortunes is that most of the people in Pakistan are not familiar with the classical Arabic Islamic tradition. And therefore sometimes some of them get confused and they think when they see scholars doing something, they think that that's a quote-unquote desi thing. Why? Because the only Arabs they know are the Arabs they meet when they go on Umrah and Hajj. They have not met Syrians, they have not met Jordanians, they have not met Moroccans, they have not met Yemenis, right? Now, the Saudis are a vast minority of Arabs, and Arabs themselves are 20% of the Muslim world. All of classical Arab and Arabic Islamic scholarship talks greatly about the adab of the Qur'an. One of the greatest examples I can give you is Imam al-Nawwi, ta'ala, one of the greatest Hadith scholars that this Ummah ever had, compiler Riyadh al-Salihin, and commentator on the Sahih of Muslim has written an entire book on the adab of Qur'an, which includes every single thing that you think to be desi, such as don't put your feet towards the Qur'an, don't use the musaf to sleep on, don't point your feet towards the Qur'an, don't sit above the Qur'an, etc., etc. Right? So you should try to study Qur'an al-Karim with adab. Most adab that you can have, because the Qur'an is kitabullah, kalamullah, it is a sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is one of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes. You should have as much adab with Qur'an as you would have with adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how much adab you should have with Qur'an al-Karim. Part of those adab are that you must always be in a state of wudu. And let me make this clear again. This is absolute ijma, unanimous consensus of all of the first 1200 years of all Arab and Arabic speaking and Islamic scholars of the entire Islamic tradition that you must have wudu, notwithstanding certain contemporary opinions that you may have been exposed to. You absolutely must have wudu when you wish to touch or read Qur'an al-Karim. Now let's say you have a book of tafsir. The hukum on that is what we say in Arabic, al-akthari hukm al-kul. That if in that closed volume, in, the, in between the two covers and the, the binding, the majority is Qur'an, al-Fazi-Qur'an, Kalamullah, then you must touch that with wudu. And if the majority of it is Kalam of Ghayrullah, right? So let's say 80% of the words are English tafsir and 20% is actually the Qur'anic text, then you may touch that without wudu in terms of the book and the pages, but you may not touch the Arabic lines of Qur'an without wudu in that book. So let's say you have a book of wudu tafsir, you could pick up the book, you could turn the pages, right? You can touch the book and the pages, but you cannot touch Kalamullah, even in such a book. All right? Clearly then, obviously you would understand that that is the same situation for the women who are listening. 
for women who are in their menstrual cycle, they are not able to touch Qur'an al-Karim directly. Yes, some ulama have given permission that if there is a great need, for example, a woman who is a hafida who wants to continue memorization, she may touch it with a glove or with a rumal. But in your case, what we have done is we have put up projectors, both downstairs for the men and upstairs, in which we will be showing you both the Arabic uh, and the English translation. So you will have everything in front of you on screen as well. And those of you who are more serious students, I would expect you, if you haven't bought it today, to bring some type of notebook or some type of Musaf Quran, which is called Bayad, which has a margin on it in which you can write notes, because writing is also a tool of learning. And the more you write, the more you'll be able to stay awake from 2 to 5, especially when it's the month of Ramadan. All right? Okay. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing in these 30 days. Obviously, Quran al-Kareem is something that is an endless, vastless ocean of knowledge. There's no way it could be explained in 30 days, even if you were to give me 24 hours a day let alone two and a half hours given breaks and electricity disruptions and those type of things. So what we're going to be doing is there's going to be some selection. I want to tell you openly what the basis is for my preference and selection in terms of what exactly I'm going to try to focus on and comment on and explain. I'm not going to be discussing, number one, I'm not going to be discussing all of the ahkam, all of the legal rulings, especially legal rulings to things that are no longer pertinent in to you, let's say, for example, the rulings pertaining to slavery. So when ayat come about slavery, I will comment about this notion of slavery because it is something that some non-Muslims critique the Muslims for, and this is a misunderstood concept. But then when legal aspects and technicalities of slavery are mentioned, we will just translate that. Similarly, I'm not here to teach you inheritance law. There will be other types of legal issues that most of them I will simply just translate. Nothing will be left untranslated, but there will be things, obviously, that will, left, will not be commented upon. Instead, what am I going to focus on? I'm going to focus on what lessons can be learned from Qur'an al-Kareem so that we can internalize Qur'an, so that we can live the Qur'an, right? And that is the intention I want all of us to make. This is not an academic exercise. This is not Professor Kamaluddin. This is not Qur'an 101. This is not a university. This is not a college. This is a madrasa. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Qur'an al-Kareem, أَوْضُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تُعَلِّمُونَ الْكِتَابِ وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَدْرُسُونَ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an himself has given us the intention. تُعَلِّمُونَ الْكِتَابِ This is what we're going to be doing right now. تَعْلِيمٍ and تَعْلِمُ of kitab, Teaching and learning kitab. Kitab Allah, Qur'an. What is the intention in that? كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ that you should become an Allah wala, become a waliullah, kitum sab Allah wali banja. That's the niyat for listening to Quran. And it's those aspects of Quran because no doubt, no matter how much the Quran al-Kareem is a book of it's it's a book of hidayah, no matter how much that hidayah may contain ma'rifa, that hidayah may, may contain sharia, the greatest purpose of that hidayah is to bring an insan to wilayah, to make every non-nabi insan. You see, all the anbiya got the scriptures directly. Revelation and scripture is essentially a communication by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through prophets and messengers for non-nabis, non-prophets. And the purpose of that revelation is to make all the non-anbiya awliyaullah. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the Quran, kunu rabbaniyin. So this is the words you should always think. When you're driving here, you should think kunu rabbaniyin. When you walk into this rooms, you should think kunu rabbaniyin. When you sit and open your musaf, you should be thinking 
and those are the aspects of the Quran al-Kareem with the mercy and help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshaAllah we're going to try to be highlighting to you. So that covers your adab, that covers your intention. Last thing I will say in terms of practicality is we will always start either at 2.05 or 2.10. Every now and then you see the, bij- the electricity going is unpredictable but it is this much predictable that it normally goes at the turn of the hour. Right? So if you get here by 2.05, if you were seated, you really need to arrive here by 1.55 or 2 to be seated and present by 2.05. So we will begin speaking on the mic. I will most likely try 2.05 sharp, but not later than 2.10 like we started today. I will end you at 5.05 or 5.10. I will not end you later than 5.10 on any day, whether it is before or during the month of Ramadan. In these three hours that we're going to have, I will give you one break in the middle. The purpose of that break is not to give you a break from this environment, from this experience, from the ocean of Qur'an. The purpose is to give your mind a little bit of a mental 10-minute mental rest because the Qur'an al-Kareem describes itself as thaqeel. Allah subhanahu describes it as heavy, as weighty, as burdensome. It is deep, right? And you will not be able to handle three hours uninterrupted, sustained Qur'an al-Kareem. So in those 10 minutes, I do not want you to SMS. I do not want you to call. I just want you to relax and think that you've heard some tarjima and tafsir, translation, explanation of Qur'an, and now you want to just let it settle in with sukoon and itminan for 10 minutes in your heart. In other words, it's going to be a 10-minute silent break. And that includes me. I also need a break. As in 10 minutes, it's absolutely haram for any of you to ask me a question to say salam, to meet me from mulaqat. I need that 10-minute break also. <laughs> Openly I tell you. Right? So don't meet me. Don't ask me a question. Nothing. Nothing. Everybody is going to take a 10-minute break. Yes, before Ramadan you could drink water. Right? Obviously, inshallah, in about 10, 12 days you won't be drinking anything during that 10-minute break. Okay? You may stretch a little bit. Try not to use, you can, you need to be able to turn off your world, SMS and phone for three hours of your life. And the Qur'an al-Kareem, one hour and twenty minutes of it should have at least that impact on you. You should feel that at least Allah subhanahu should be able to show you after one hour and twenty minutes of Qur'an, I can sit with sukoon for ten minutes. And Allah subhanahu says in Qur'an al-Kareem about Qur'an, إِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ وَأَنْسِتُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ That when the Qur'an al-Kareem is being recited, and you can add for this purposes, translated and commented upon, that you should listen to it intensely. وَاسْتَمِعْ Istima' means to listen intensely. You should listen to it intently with means with ears and heart. وَأَنْسِتُوا And you should be silent. Means turn off your tongue and turn off your mind and heart and awareness all your shu'ur from other things. So that the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa may descend upon you, so that you may be amongst those who receive the mercy. So actually 10 minutes you can say turhamun break. So easy two words for you to remember. Your entire intention on coming here and sitting here is rabbaniyin, and the 10 minute break is turhamun so that we may also be amongst those who receive the rahmah and the mercy that is in Qur'an al-Kareem. And the last thing I will say, uh, last two things, is that because the time is short, and I tell you openly, I'm not a hafiz, I'm not a qari, I'm not a mujawid, 
I'm not going to attempt to do tilawa of the entire Qur'an. Because at the speed which I would do that, it's going to take up half of your time. <laughs> and then I will barely be able to translate it. And then there will be no commentary at all. I will definitely at certain times do tilawa of the Arabic original. Because there are certain cases where I will perhaps want to highlight features of the Arabic to you. But again, that is why the Arabic is on the screen. That is why all of you are encouraged. And this one, the one that I've recommended to you, has the Arabic and English both. So you can do your tilawa. And I would suggest, really, that if you want to be a serious student, especially because the month of Ramadan is coming, you get this edition. You make some notes on it. And then when you leave, later on that night, the next morning in Fajr, the next morning, you do tilawa of one juz. And then you will get a practice of doing tilawa with meaning, with understanding. And when you have meaning, and then you have understanding, then you get feeling. And when you get feeling, you start flying in deen of Islam. May someday. So you will have meaning plus feeling that will equal to flying. Alright? And the very last thing is that every day, inshallah ta'ala, we will end with a 5 to, minute, five to 10 minute dua. So that's what we're going to be doing from 5 to 5.05 slash 5.10 p.m. And we will try to make dua based on some of the ayat that we recited that may Allah subhanahu enable us and bless us and guide us to benefit from them and to learn from them. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنمت عليهم غير المغذوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين one of the other that Allah subhanahu wa taught us in Qur'an al-Kareem in Surah Nahal, which is the 16th Surah, Allah subhanahu wa commanded us that before we recite Qur'an, we must say, A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajim. Now this is obviously a sentence that is said on the tongue, and it, Allah subhanahu wa teaching us there's a mentality. It shows us that means that me and you and every human being are creatures who are constantly, constantly being afflicted by thoughts of shaitan. And even reciting Qur'an wouldn't have been enough. Even Bismillah Rahman Rahim wasn't enough. Allah SWT had to add a targeted, focused dua that we have to read to protect our mind and heart from receiving the wasabas of shaitan. So what we learn from this is number one, that we're continually being attacked by shaitan because he's an enemy. You know when in this world that you have a diehard enemy, you think that he's always plotting against you, right? He's always scheming against you. Well, shaitan, Allah Ta'ala has said in Qur'an al-Kareem that he is our diehard enemy, which means he is in fact always plotting and scheming against us. So in order even to do something azim as Qur'an, even having wudu, even reciting Bismillah al-Marim, Allah Ta'ala said, no, even then you have to do a targeted attack, have a special shield that is directed against shaitan. This teaching of Qur'an itself, and you know, I'm doing that I in advance, right? Surah now, the 16th Surah is going to come many, many days from now. But that teaching is teaching us something very important. That you have to be on guard, you have to be on watch, you have to be wary. And you have to specifically repel and take away all those things, be it shaitan or any different aspect or feature of our nafs that is going to take us away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has then commanded and he has opened up his own book, the Qur'an al-Kareem, with the tasmiyah. And this is the most famous 
sentence in Qur'an al-Kareem, perhaps the most oft-recited sentence in Qur'an al-Kareem. And in 113th surahs, except for Surah Bara'a, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the Qur'an al-Kareem with this ayah. Here you look that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have told us to begin, Billahi Rahman Rahim, that I begin with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ar-Rahman Rahim, I'll explain what that is in a moment. But no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you're going to begin with my name. Bismillah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us another thing. That his very name has great importance in the deen. Just like you can think that his kalam, his word has importance in the deen. His kitab, his book has importance in the deen. Ism, his name has importance in the deen. And that's why elsewhere in Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, And full of barakah is the ism, the name of your Rabb. So full of barakah that even when you are going to do something, again, even when you've sought the refuge from shaitan, and you're going to read Qur'an, and you have niyat and ikhlas in your heart, even then you need, what do you need to boost you? You need the barakah of that name. means that there's a lot of power in the barakah in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why in another place in Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَذْكُرْ isma rabbik." That when you make dhikr of Allah, when you remember Him, recollect Him, want to be aware of Him, conscious of Him, what is that thing that can cut off all your awareness of this world and connect you to remembrance of Him, His ism? وَذْكُرْ isma rabbik And make dhikr of the name of your Rabb. And many sahih hadith that the Nabi Kareem has mentioned, that even everything that we do, we should begin it with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is also a good sign and test for us that the act that we're going to do, is it, going to, is it something that is proper to our ubudiyah, to our being in Abdullah? You will find that's an easy way to get a fatwa from your heart. If your heart tells you that iskam, before you do this, you can't say bismillah. <laughs> you can't say bismillah and hit the remote and, and watch uh, Pakistani MTV. Can you do that? And if you think you can, can you say bismillah on every video? Hmm? No way, right? No way. Could you say Bismillah on every single track of that city? When it skips, when it goes from track one to track two, you quickly say Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Listen to the second track. It's a way for you to tell. Way for you to tell. Easy way. Your heart can tell you. You don't need rational proofs. Your heart will tell you what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what is displeasing to Him. And how will your heart be guided? This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaching us in Qur'an. Qur'an is a book of guidance of the hearts. That's coming a little bit later on. It's going to come today, inshallah. Right? So, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. The Ba in the Arabic language comes for many, many things. One thing that the word Ba comes for is for help. And the second thing the word Ba comes for, in other words, I seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second thing that Ba comes for is Ilsaq. Ilsaq means to join one. So it means I join myself with the name of Allah. Third thing that Ba comes for is for Qurb. I make myself kareeb to the name of that Allah who is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And the fourth thing that Ba comes for is Barakah. And that I already mentioned to you, that I begin with the Barakah of the name of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So again I told you that this tasmiyah is not there in Surah At-Tawbah. There are a lot of the Mufassirin have written in great detail about this issue as to why it is not there in Surah Tawbah. Some of them uh, have said that it is made up because elsewhere in the Qur'an al-Kareem, in the text of the Qur'an itself, when it talks about the letter that Sayyidina Sulaiman wrote to the Queen Bilqis, in the letter, which is that part of it that is quoted in the Qur'an, he writes to her, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. 
And one importance of that, it suggests that this phrase was known to even the previous Anbiya. So this phrase is not khas or exclusive to Qur'an al-Kareem, nor is it khas or exclusive to the Ummat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ar-Rahman rahim Rahman rahim is basically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's introduction to Himself. These are the first two things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to know about Him. That He is Ar-Rahman rahim The first two things and the most repeated things, the most repeated sifat or attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to know about Him. You know, for example, today when somebody writes and the author has a one-sentence byline and the editor or publisher, they think carefully that what do they put in the byline because the byline is one line. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put a one-line byline for himself, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy first can be understood that the Qur'an itself, sending Qur'an upon the insan, for the divine being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to even deign and descend to address humanity. Only that being, given that he is all of Allah Ta'ala's other attributes, only a being who was almighty, all-powerful, had no need of anything, had no need of humanity, for such a being to even bother to address humanity, for such a being to even deign or condescend or descend to even make insan his mukhatab, would only a being who was al-Rahman and al-Rahim would make such a naqis insan mukhatab. So this is another aspect. The Qur'an itself is going to be a living embodiment, a living manifestation of the infinite and incredible mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, both of these words in the Arabic language are called Sigat al-Mubalagha. That means that these are intensive forms. Intense forms, not just merciful. Intensely merciful one. Now what is the difference between these two names? Again, in the books of Tafsir, the ulama of Tafsir have written a great deal on this issue. Much, much more than we could even summarize for you in a uh, you know, series uh, of talks like this. I will just give you one example. One of the many different ways. One way that they've understood that difference is that Ar-Rahman means that being who possesses infinite mercy, who is mercy incarnate, who is the epitome of mercy itself. And Ar-Rahim is that being who dispenses that mercy, who showers that mercy, who emanates and conveys and sends down that mercy infinitely. So one is infinitely possessing mercy, and second is infinitely sending mercy. Now when you think about it that way, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has infinite mercy, and if He is going to infinitely send down upon Ahl Qur'an that infinite mercy, then that means that anybody who submits themselves to the teachings of the deen, because Qur'an is a book of deen, Qur'an is not just a book of Qur'an, Quran is going to guide you to every single thing, the Prophet, Sahaba, everything is going to be guided to you in Quran. We're going to show you that by the end of these 30 days. Any person who falls into that will get the in, will be infinitely sent down upon them the infinite mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what will enable them to live in infinite eternity in Jannah. Receiving, infinitely receiving the infinite mercy of that infinitely merciful being because we submitted ourselves to this infinitely incredible Qur'an is what's going to earn us that infinite eternity known as Jannah. Right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamd means two, I will again briefly mention to you, means two things here. It means number one, each and every single praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And second, it means hamd itself. Praise itself is proper only for Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is praiseworthy. 
What does that mean? That means that actually that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala possesses all of the amazing and wonderful attributes. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, and sometimes some of you may have heard me say this before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that I am everything, you are nothing. You have nothing intrinsically. You have nothing inherently in you that is worthy of praise. Anything that you have that is worthy of praise has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like a creator, and that's the relationship between every creator and their creation. If you praise the projector, you're actually praising the person who designed and invented the projector. It itself is just a creation. If there's anything worthy and praiseworthy to be found in it, that is the greatness and genius and accomplishment and achievement of its creator. It itself has no achievement and accomplishment. So Allah subhanahu is teaching us the, the very first thing you need to know about me is that I'm Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And the very first thing you need to express about yourself in relation to me is you need to say, Allah Ta'ala, I am nothing and you are everything. That's what it means to say, Alhamdulillah. Here Allah Subhanahu then also chose to use, is still using in begin, uh, His name, right? So Bismillah, Allah Ismail Jalal came there and Alhamdulillah, again Allah Ismail Jalal came here. Now Allah Ta'ala then will introduce the third attribute of His after Rahman and Rahim and that is Rabb. Rabb. Rabb means that being who is the nurturer, caretaker, sustainer, upbringer, provider. And Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that we are, He is the Rabb of the Alameen. And remember, He wants you to say it. He wants me to say it. He wants us to say it. He's teaching us how to say, how to speak. It means He's teaching us how to think and feel about Him. So it means Allah Ta'ala wants us to know Him as He wishes Himself to be known, to know Him as He has revealed Himself to be. So He is Rabbul Alameen. He has done... He is nourishing and guiding and sustaining the entire universes. The known physical universe, possible unknown universes, parallel universes, not your sci-fi parallel universes, the jinn parallel universe, the angelic parallel universe, Allahu Alam other parallel universes, Jannat could be in a parallel universe in of itself, the Arsh and Kursi could even each even be in a separate universe in of themselves. And what you're supposed to feel in that is that that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Rabb of all of the Alameen, he is sending Qur'an and Nabi Kareem Sassam to little old me. Out of all of the Alameen, he is talking to me. That's what Allah subhanahu wa wants you to feel when you are reciting. Alhamdulillah, bil Alameen. Then again Allah subhanahu wa repeats here, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So that has already been done. Maliki Yawmiddin. Next attribute. So Ar-Rahman first, Ar-Rahim second, Rabb third, Malik. Here there are two ways, two mm, feelings that Allah subhanahu is trying to give us. Number one feeling is Malik means master, owner, sovereign, dominant one, ghalib, hmm? king, ruler of the day of judgment. So it means Allah subhanahu is teaching us that we should be Abdul Malik. Hmm. That we should realize that Allah subhanahu yes, He is Rahman, He is Rahim, He is Rabb, He has all the soft, kind, gentle attributes. But lest a person think that because Allah subhanahu is so merciful, soft, kind, gentle, benevolent, I can just, you know, do whatever I want, or I'll be forgiven for free. Allah subhanahu now, after first mentioning His love and mercy, also wants us to know His mastery, His dominance, His sovereignty over us. And what will be, where will you see that? You may not see that in this world. So the young man and woman thinks, I'm the master of my time. I get up when I want, I do what I want, I choose what I want, I study what I want, I work where I want, right? I drive where I want. Yes, that may be like that. You will not actually witness the, with your own mushahida the full-fledged mastery of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where are you going to witness that? Yawm ad-deen. There's going to come a day. 
And that day lasts thousands and tens and tens of thousands of years actually. And on that day, Allah subhanahu wa mastery, His power, His sovereignty will be manifest and apparent. And this whole life is to be lived in preparation for that day. Right? So just like when a student has an exam, on that day the proctor is the malik. That's the day the university is the malik. Right? That's why we say, Bakri ki maa kab Right? Vilakir professor kem tahan to lena. You can skip your classes, you can do whatever you want, you're going to have to take my final exam. And the student knows it also. And the day he shows up in the final exam, and she shows up in the final exam, she knows that if I never accepted him as a professor throughout the semester, this day he's standing up there, today he's my professor. Hmm? Same thing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot escape him. You will ultimately return to him. And you will return to him in such a way that slave before master. That's the way we will first appear before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yom al-Din, literally you would think in English it would be translated as day of religion. But it's normally translated as day of judgment. Sometimes people mention day of resurrection. That's a mistake. Allah, I mean, you know, if ever, if any time I ever say anything, I'm not actually looking at this. Uh, Shaykh Mufti Taki Uthmani is a great scholar. Uh, absolutely proficient in Arabic and absolutely proficient in Urdu and nearly proficient in English. The reason I selected his translation is actually it is very good English. And his English always captures the meaning of the Arabic original. And that's the beauty I haven't found in any other translation. You may not be able to appreciate that because you look at the eloquence. But I'm looking at which English truly most accurately captures the meaning of the Arabic original. In that sense, this is undoubtedly the best translation there. Sometimes it may not have the best choice of words to eloquently express that meaning. So sometimes I may change that. I may change that. All right? So literally it would have been Day of Deen, Right? It means the day of judgment, the day of return, the day that you will return this loan called life, this dain, this load called life to Allah spot, and you will be assessed, and you will be examined, and you will be judged. All right? Okay. Next is iyyak and abdu iyyak and astain. This has been mentioned by some of the mufassirin as the most important ayah in this. This is like the crescendo, so your feeling is built up by now. First, you are sort of speaking in a third person. You're talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, Maliki, Now, all of a sudden, you start making dua. You see, the first three sentences were factual statements. Praises to Allah, He is all-merciful, He is the Master, etc. Right? Now, you're making a dua. What's happened, what's supposed to happen in Surah Fatah at this point is you're so emotionally overwhelmed now, Abbi You start making dua. Dua erupts from your heart. And which dua erupts from the heart of that person who has only gone through three eyes of Qur'an. Imagine what dua is going to erupt from that person who goes through 30 juz or paras of Qur'an. This is the dua that erupts in our deen from the person who has gone through three lines of Qur'an. إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا إِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you and you alone do I worship. Given that you are Ar-Rahman and you are Ar-Rahim and you are Rabb of all of the Alameen, but still you're interested in me and you're going to be the master of the day and you're going to judge me, it's finished. Everything else is finished now. Nafs is finished. Fashion is within three lines of Quran. It's finished. All ghirullah is finished. I do not bow to fashion, culture, society, trends. I don't do that. I don't bow to creation and disobedience. It's finished. These three lines are enough. I've sold myself to you. This is Quranic in some. In three lines gives themselves up to Allah SWT entirely. You alone will I worship. You alone will I submit. You alone will I obey. You alone will I put as number one. You are my number one. Nobody can even come to a close second. That's what he's saying. 
And you alone will I turn to for help. Now sometimes people ask this question, that well, what does that mean? Obviously we ask one another to help us. We ask one another to help ourselves in learning and studying and medicine if we're sick. So what it means is, means number one, that in terms of matters pertaining to my... Well, okay, let me, there are many ways to explain this to you. Let's put it this way. That it means that you alone are that being who I know has the perfect ability to help me. Everyone else, no matter how much they may want to, will only be able to imperfectly help me. You're the only one who's perfectly capable of helping me. Second, another way to put it is that, and since I have made my nisbat of iman with you, I know that you alone, because I've now said that, you alone are my ma'bud. You alone are my God. So now I know that because of that relationship, you alone will help me because I've made myself alone yours. I have made myself only yours. So I know that you will help me. And third way to look at it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, if, anybody else can, if anybody else tries to help you, somebody may be able to stop them from helping you. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps you, then nothing can stop that help from coming to you. And you will find ayat in Quran coming on the mother, the nusrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when it comes, when Allah ta'ala decrees His help for someone, there is no power on earth that can take that help away. Ihdina. So now, what happened here is that first, first it wasn't really a dua, but a statement that came from you. Now what you're supposed to feel, two things happen here. Number one, Allah Ta'ala is teaching you that, okay, you want to only be my ab, and you think that you're only going to take my help. So now know that, let me first tell you how to do that. Allah is training us. How are we going to do? Both the ibadah and the istiyana is going to be through something called hidayah. We're going to need hidayah guidance to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're going to need hidayah and guidance on how to get help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches this is the dua you need. This is the most recited dua in the entire history of humanity. Not just the history of this ummah, not just the ummah today, all of the above. And what dua is that? Ihdina. Allah ta'ala give us hidayah, give us hidayah, give us hidayah. And everyone needs hidayah. You continually need hidayah. There is no person, Waliullah needs hidayah. Anbiya need hidayah. Sayyidina Rasulullah used to make this dua. No one is outside needing the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ihdina sirat mustaqim The ulama of tafsir, they normally mention three types of hidayah. But uh, we're going to have to start going to fifth gear. Alright? So you can read about that inshallah. And part of this is to give you some shock and zok. To give you some thirst and desire to read more and understand more about Qur'an al-Karim. Alright? But here you read about that, that there are three levels of hidayah. Uh, but the sum of that was that a person always needs hidayah at, at one or more of those three levels. Sirat al-Mustaqim. So Sirat al-Mustaqim literally means straight path. Straight path. Very unfortunate. You will see, and I will be showing you this as well. One of the features I will be showing you how secular progressive Islam has deliberately distorted true original Islam. And so one thing that secular progressive Muslims love to say, they call it the straight and narrow. Hmm? They love to say that. And they borrow that from English, secular language, that, oh, are you walking the straight and narrow? Of Quran doesn't say narrow. Quran says straight. Hmm? Quran says straight path. So to deliberately twist, and I will be showing you ayah, ayahs that they deliberately take and twist in the name of secularism. And they mock and they say it cynically, that, oh, you're following the straight and narrow. 
Once somebody asked me that are you guiding students to the straight and narrow? <laughs> Allah Akbar. So no, there's nothing narrow. There's no concept of being narrow here. Straight. Straight means physically straight. Straight also means without any deception, without any crookedness, without any hidden undertones, without any fine print, without any ulterior motives, right? Sida sada satcha sutra. That's what it means, straight. That's mustaqeem, mustaqeem. And sirat means path, means way. So to the pure, noble, straight, honest way of life on earth, given that we've made this exchange up till now, that you are Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you alone are Ma'bud, Rabb, Rahman, Rahim, Malik, and we are your Abd. Given that exchange has been done, now show us the most straight, pure, natural way to live a life according to this dictates. That's Sirat al-Mustaqim. Alright? Sayyidina Rasulullah once when he was sitting with Sahaba Ikram, he asked, was talking to them about the Sirat al-Mustaqim and he drew a line. Put a stick in the ground and he drew a line, right? And he said, this is Sirat al-Mustaqim. And then he drew some squiggly lines that were offshoots from it. And he said that these are paths that go deviant, that go astray. And he said, in every path that goes astray, that there's a shaitan who is inviting people to that path that goes astray. But the important thing for us is that Sirat al-Mustaqim, when the Bihakrim says, do it as a straight line. So those of you who know simple math, or even discrete math, that a line is a series of infinitely continuous and contiguous points. You need ittisal of infinite points in order to make a line. So Sirat al-Mustaqim is not a dot. It's not an uninterrupted dot. It's not like the Prophet then you lift the pen, and then you go to your favorite scholar of today, and then you drop the pen again, and say, I only follow X and the Prophet. No. Sirat al-Mustaqim means there's a line. A line. In other words, hidayah. Hidayah. It's going to be something that is found in every single generation of Muslims, in every age, in every zamana. So for somebody to claim that they have found some piece of hidayah today that didn't exist earlier, that's not possible. Understand another thing, that scientific understanding of Quran is not part of your hidayah, right? And we're going to see when we do some of those ayahs, I may sometimes tell you something about science. But that wasn't part of your hidayah. That's not going to help you on the Day of Judgment, right? That's not something you were going to be asked about. You weren't going to be asked when Allah Subhanahu used this particular phrase for the moon, what did it mean, right? That's not part of how to live a spiritual life as a servant and slave of Allah Subhanahu So know that all the things pertaining to hidayah, how to be a good mu'min and a Muslim and what is taqwa and what is sin and what is sharia, that has to be known throughout, continuously, without interruption. Maybe not by everyone, but without interruption by someone. Hidayah will always be there. And one of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name is Al-Hadi, the giver of Hidayah, a perpetual and eternal Hidayah. Alright? So, Idina Sirat al-Mustaqim. Second thing here, Sirat al-Ladina al-Amta alayhim. That this is a path, it's not an abstract path, it's not a theoretical path, it's a path of people. Al-Ladina, that's referring now to insan, group of people. It's a path of a special group of people. It's a trodden path, a well-trodden path. It's a path on which there are footsteps. There are footprints on that path. So we don't need to carve it out for ourselves. The Quran, within first page of Quran, Allah Ta'ala is saying, I'm not going to tell you something just in Quran. Quran itself, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Himself is saying in Quran, it's not going to be just a book. There's a path. 
And that path has people's footsteps on it. Who are those people? Alladina anamta alayhim. Those people upon whom you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have sent your in'amat, whom you have blessed. Who are those people? In Surah Nisa, which is Surah number 4, verse number 69, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that who are those group of people? Minan nabiyyina wa siddiqina wa shuhada'i wa salihin. Four groups of people mentioned. This is what we call tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an. We're going to be doing this from time to time, understanding one eye of Qur'an from a later ayah. That's why sometimes we go a bit slower in the beginning, but when I come to that, surah number five, I can skip that ayah, because I've done it here. Right? Sirat, so you can actually think when you're reciting surah Fatiha, Sirat al-Ladina anamta alayhim, what you're actually saying is, Ihdina sirat al-Mustaqeem, Sirat al-Nabiyyin wa Siddiqeen wa Shuhada'i wa Salihin. Oh Allah Ta'ala, guide me to the path of the prophets and messengers, all of them, Nabiyyin, all of them, all of them. I want to follow the beautiful teachings of Sayyidina Yusuf and all the Anbiya that you put in Quran. I need that. That's part of my idea. Siddiqeen. Who are Siddiqeen? Siddiqeen means the true followers of the Anbiya. The truest followers of the Prophets. The sincerest followers of the Prophets. And in our Ummah, As-Siddiq Al-Akbar, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, As-Siddiq, Radiallahu ta'ala anu. But all the Sahaba, Kiram, Radiallahu ajma'in, all of Sahaba, Akin of Ahnu Sunnah wal Jama'ah, all of Sahaba are Siddiqeen. Not like some of them are Siddiqeen and some are Salina Sine. All Sahaba are Siddiqeen. So what are we saying? We're saying in Quran, Allah Ta'ala guide us to the path of all of the Prophets and all the Sahaba. Shuhada'i, And all of those people who loved you so much, they were willing to give their very life for the sake of the deen. And fourth group was Salihin. Now Salihin are the righteous ones, the pious ones, the upright ones. And they exist in every age. Siddiqeen also exists in every age, but they're fewer. You're going to come to that when we do uh, Surah Waqiyah. Oh, like in 20 days from now. <laughs> all right, I'll explain that to you over there. All right? Siddiqeen exists in all... Every age will have Siddiqeen. Every age. There will be no age empty of Siddiqeen. But they get fewer over time. Salihin are always there in abundance. We should make dua at least that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make me amongst the salihin. Make me a salih mu'min. What does that mean? A true, pious, upright, virtuous believer. You know, like you want to be a good student. You want to be a model student, right? So that's what a salih is. A good believer, a model believer, a true believer, a noble, virtuous, excellent believer. That's salihin. A great believer. Right? So that is the group that we're asking. So it means that this is paths. In other words, we're not only asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us on the path of people past, we're also asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us on the path of people present, because Siddiqeen and Salihin are present. And we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us on the path of people in the future, because they're going to be Siddiqeen and Salihin in the future. So there's a continuity in our deen, a tasalsul, a silsila in our deen. Continuous and unbroken chains of transmission, and continuous perpetuity until the Day of Judgment. al-Maghdubi. غير المغدوبي and there's another thing that again this is related to people again so there's a certain group of people who we want to follow and be like and that's how Allah in Quran is defining hidayah using people see people sometimes say today why are you following X you should just follow Quran Quran is saying follow X Quran is saying follow those people who are Siddiqeen and Salihin Quran is saying make dua for that 27 plus times a day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the Quran, you have to find people who are Siddiqeen and Salihin and beg me for Hidayah to follow their footsteps. But there are also some other Y's and Z's that you shouldn't follow. 
So who are those? So number one, Don't follow the ones who I'm angry with. So the places where alcohol is consumed is a place where Allah Ta'ala's anger comes down. Don't follow those people. The place where interest is charged and earned and recorded and collected is a place where Allah Ta'ala's anger comes down. Don't follow those people. Don't want to be like them. Don't make that your dream job. And don't follow those who find they may not be getting Allah Ta'ala's anger through disobedience or sin, but they're astray. They're astray. So if a person themselves is unguided, they can't be a source of guidance for you, right? So Allah Ta'ala is making it clear that there are going to be people who are not on their footprints or not on Salatul Mustaqim. Don't follow their footprints. Their footprints are going astray. They're off path, off road. They're adventurous. They want to do some off-road experiencing, off the sharia. Don't follow them either. Don't follow them either. Some of the commentators of Quran have said that al-mughdubi alayhim means the Jews and lalin means the Christians. Not necessarily all Jews and all Christians, and not necessarily. Like the way I just explained it to you, didn't necessarily mean Jews and Christians. It has to do with those whom Allah Ta'ala is angry with and those whom Allah Ta'ala is astray. But the reason they said this, and I'll show you those eyes when they come, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to Jews as those people whom Allah ta'ala is angry with. But again, it's a particular type of Jew, which is those Jews of Bani Israel who denied Sayyidina Musa Islam, and those Jews at the time of Medina Manorah who denied Sayyidina Rasulullah and any Jew from that time until today who continues to be atheistic or antagonistic to them. Right? All right. And Christians are also, and that's going to come when it comes in Qur'an al-Kareem, about them being astray. So that was the feature of tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an, right? Again, understanding one part of Qur'an through other parts of Qur'an, that many, in fact, in almost every tafsir any one of you will read, it will mention that one of the meanings of al-Maghdubi alayhim is Jews and al-Dhani is Christians. The reason why I'm trying to tell you to widen it, I'm not negating that meaning, but to widen as well, is because you have to be open to the possibility that there may be some Muslims who are maghdubi alayhim and some Muslims who are also dhalim. And that's our greater fear because you live in a 99% Muslim majority country, right? And so that's what we should be worried about. That I don't want to, don't think that, well, I'm not a Jew or Christian, so I'm home free. I'm not going to be in maghdubi. No, we can do things to make Allah Ta'ala angry with us. And we can do things that would make us worthy of being called astray and we have to protect ourselves from that. All right? If you want that, I have that in Surah Mai, the Surah number 5, verse number 177 is where it's mentioned that the uh, Nasara, the Christians are going astray. Alright, and the, one, the ones in the Jews are coming today. Alright, the, the notion of Allah Ta'ala's anger uh, is going to be coming right now. Alright, it comes in a hadith, and the last thing I'll say about Surah Fatah, it's a bit of an important Surah, that's why I spent so much time on it. Nabi Karim Sassam has referred to it as Ummul Kitab, Fatihul Kitab, it's known as the mother of the Quran. Elsewhere in the Quran, Allah subhanahu refers to Sabah Mathani, uh, the seven oft recited verses. So it has a lot of uh, blessings in our deen. Okay? And in a very uh, well known Sahihadith, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in either, certainly in Muslim, may also be in Bukhari, uh, the Prophet said that when a person recites Surah Fatah, Allah subhanahu wa responds back to each line. It becomes like a dialogue and a conversation, right? Uh, for example, when the servant says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hamidani Abdi, that my servant has praised me. Then he says, my servant has, you know, 
graced me, my servant has glorified me. And then when the servant says, that this is between me and my servant now. This is the height of love. This is now a secret of love, secret love affair between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servants. It means just like you were gotten in three lines, your three, your fourth line, got Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with you. All you had to say was, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, هَذَا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ abdi. That now it's just between me and my servant. This is a special feature of love that is between the servant and their dog. Alright. Next surah of Qur'an al-Kareem is Surah Baqarah. This is the second surah of Qur'an al-Kareem. Very also extremely famous surah. Oh boy. Excuse me? No questions at all. This is a motorway where there's no rest stop, unfortunately. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Surah Baqarah is the longest surah of the Quran Kareem in terms of number of ayat as well as in terms of number of alfaz, number of words. It's also considered to be the deepest in meaning, most powerful and intensive meaning. Many hadith also in, in many hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned the fadila or the virtue and merits of Surah Baqarah and many Sahabi Kram also used to talk about this. Many of you know the very famous statement of Sayyidina Omar radiallahu anhu. He said that I learned Baqarah. I spent so many years. I can't remember right now how many years it was. I spent so many years just learning how to live Surah Baqarah. Allahu Akbar. Means that if it's that's deep, right? Something that requires Sayyidina Omar radiallahu anhu, one of the greatest of the Siddiqeen, the second greatest Sahaba, the second greatest non-prophetic human ever to have lived. If it requires him years to internalize, then it means it must be very deep. Very deep and powerful in meaning. And the second reason that the scholars of the seer mention that is deep in meaning is that because there are two ayahs, and I'll explain them when we do them. One, the second one is known as Ayatul Bir, and the first one, I don't know if they've given it a proper name, but it's the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa that you should enter into the deen entirely. And they feel that these two ayahs are especially weighty. Also, you know that Ayatul Nur and Ayatul Kursi are also in Surah Al-Baqarah, and the last few ayahs of Surah Al-Baqarah also have been mentioned in Hadith as having a special power and a special barakah and a special blessing. So that even individual ayahs and groups of ayahs in Surah Al-Baqarah have a special importance. You will see here that it begins with Alif Lam Mim. All right, these are known as Harufi Muqatta'at. Muqatta'at comes from Qata. Qata means to cut or to sever. It simply means that these words are read separate. These letters are read separately. You won't read it alam, right? You're going to read each letter separately. Alif, lam, mim, right? Okay. In the books of Tafsir, a lot has been written about this. I will simply give you the simple answer that only Allah Ta'ala knows what these letters are. And I feel only Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala knows why He has placed these letters in Qur'an al-Karim. Notwithstanding that obviously the great scholars, because they were so erudite and so learned, they did give and sometimes very interesting and sometimes more convincing, sometimes less convincing, sometimes very convincing even, uh, understandings and explanations as to why Allah SWT would do this. Of that I will just give you one, and that is that Allah SWT did this to humble humanity. To humble humanity. See, don't you see even today people like to say that, oh, Hegel is such a great philosopher, you ask them why, because you can't understand him. <laughs> That's one reason they give. And that's part of the 
in the West, that's viewed as one of the part of the greatness of a philosopher is sometimes he says things that you can't understand. Hmm? So this may be, I mean again, this, is, this itself is also speculation, right? But this is one call of the Mufassirin that I will share with you, that Allah Ta'ala was showing the Sha'an. Sha'an is the word I will be using often. Sha'an means His majesty, His might, His glory, right? And in Urdu you should have the same word, His Azmat is Sha'an, right? His incredible glory and splendor by humbling humanity and sometimes reciting these letters. But this much we know that you get reward for reciting these letters. And once the Prophet said that a person gets ten rewards for reciting every letter of Quran. And the Sahaba asked, right? So the Sahaba asked the Prophet that even Alif Lam Mi will we get Sahab for that also? And the Prophet yes, you will. The reason I'm mentioning this is very important. Some people think that there's no thawab in reciting Arabic Quran unless you understand the meaning. That sahaba did not know the meaning of Alif Lamim. And the Prophet is telling him, you will get ten rewards even for those letters that you did not understand. So tilawah to Quran means the Arabic original. Yes, you should do, and we're doing it. We're sitting doing it live so I can show you that I'm not monkey of this. You should understand translation and explanation of Quran. But you must do tilawah of the Arabic original Quran and any person past or contemporary who tries to suggest for whatever reason or maybe genuine misunderstanding that there's no benefit, no reward, no virtue, no merit, no need to recite the Arabic Quran if you don't know the meaning, just read it in translation, they are wrong. Because when you're reading the translation, you're reading the word of Mufti Taqi, the word of Piktal, the word of Arbery. When you're reading the Arabic, you're reading the word of Allah. You're reading Kalam Allah. And your tongue needs to experience that. Your tongue needs to experience that. Alright? So that's all I will say about Alif Lam Mim. Okay, that call I will just tell you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put things that are unknown. That is attributed to Sufyan Authority Allah. He is one of the greatest of the Tabi'in. Alright. Allah subhanahu wa says that this is a book, La Rebafi. Again, just like the Sirat was Mustaqim, the path was completely straight. This is a book, La Rebafi, normally translated, there's no doubt in it. I don't know how, what he has used. Right? Okay. There's no doubt in it. There is no doubt, there is no. Now, watch this, I'm going to show you. It's going to come in the course. There's ambiguity. There is lack of clarity. Allah subhanahu himself is going to say that there are ayat that are mushtabihat that are unclear. There may be lack of clarity. There may be lack of ambiguity, but there's no doubt. So what does that mean? Because normally for us, if you read something that's ambiguous, then you're a bit doubtful, you're uncertain, i.e. doubtful as to what the meaning is. So the first thing it means is there's no doubt as to the authenticity of this book. There's no doubt whatsoever that this kitab is kitabullah, that every harf, every letter in this kitab is kalamullah. There's no doubt in that whatsoever. Second, there's no doubt in the power and barakah and ability of this book to be able to make a person get Jannah forever. No doubt in that whatsoever. As far as the meaning goes, right? Let me leave that to when I come to those ayahs that talk about the multiplicity of meaning. And that's something that you may not learn today, but in the course of 30 days you will see a glimpse into why is it that sometimes Mufassirun have taken different interpretations. And what is our response going to be when they have multiple interpretations of a particular verse or a particular word? So when that comes, then you can, you know, you can come back to this issue. All right? And our Ustaz Sheikh Mawasif Rahman was explaining it this morning in the following way, that in this world when people write books, they always write in the preface. 
that, you know, any errors and omissions are mine, right? They acknowledge I thank so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so for reviewing, editing, and this and that, but all mistakes remain mine. <laughs> so Allah SWT is beginning the book by saying there are no mistakes here. Allah is saying straight up, first line, preface, right? There's absolutely no mistake whatsoever here. There will never be a second edition. There will never be anything like that. Hudal al-Muttaqeen literally means that this book, right, uh, this book is going to be a source of hidayah, a means of guidance for the people of taqwa. So here oftentimes when people ask a question, uh, that when you look at it in terms of common sense, you feel that okay, the hidayah would come first and the taqwa would come later. But the Quran is saying taqwa comes first, hidayah comes later, right? Because if you would think that, okay, I'm going to get guidance on how to become muttaqi. I need the guidance to get taqwa. I need the hidayah to get taqwa. And here the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, right, that hidayah is going to be given to those who have taqwa, to the people of taqwa. So what it, it means, a couple of things here. There are two ways you can understand the word taqwa. One is taqwa, and second is the consequences of taqwa. One is the feeling of taqwa, and second is the acting on the feeling of taqwa. So you can put it this way, first is feeling of taqwa. Second, that person who has feeling of taqwa will get hidayah. That person who gets hidayah will learn now how to act according to the feelings of their taqwa. Feeling of taqwa, what is that feeling? Feeling of taqwa means love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fear for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and reverence for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And both the hogyat and fatima, right? That's done in Surah Fatah. If you look at it, you're done. If you feel fatah, you have the feeling of taqwa. Love is there, right? You feel Allah's Rahman and Rahim and Rabb. Fear is there, right? You feel that He's Malik. Submitting yourself with there, iyaka na'abadu wa iyaka nasta'in. You've got the feeling of taqwa if you can learn how to feel fatah properly. So that person who has the feeling of taqwa, this book will be a book of guidance for them and then will guide them on how to live according to the dictates and demands of taqwa. Alright? Just like, for example, if I told you that if you want to do some... You're normally, like for example, people told me this as well, and I tell students as well, that if you want to do a PhD, you have to be passionate about that subject. You have to have a feeling for it. Otherwise, it's going to be torture for you to do it. If you have a feeling for it, if you're passionate for it, you'll be able to do it. To so pick a subject that you're passionate. Once you have the passion, then the job of the professors and instructors is to give you the guidance in order to let you... Act that passion for you to fulfill the dictates of that passion, right? So feeling of taqwa means that if you approach Quran without the feeling of taqwa, that's why I made your knee strong in the beginning. Kunu Rabbanin, that's your feeling. May Allah wala That's taqwa, that's it. If you really feel that with your heart, that's enough to get hidayah from Quran. That's enough. Alright? That's another reason why. You see, if you study Quran from a non-Muslim or a non-practicing Muslim, or a Muslim who somehow doesn't believe in all of the things that the Qur'an talks about, like the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam, then you're studying from, you're trying to get hidayah from somebody who's been excluded by the Qur'an from hidayah. Himself has been unguided. Right? He doesn't have the feeling of taqwa. So generally, this is a general thing, it's just teaching you general rule now. Anytime you want guidance on deen, you must have feeling of taqwa and you must get it from that person who has feeling of taqwa. And if you sit in somebody's talks or you listen to them on TV and the word taqwa never even leaves their lips, you realize there's something wrong here. <laughs> right? This is not, this is not in Hudal al-Muttaqeen. This is something else going on here. 
Maybe this is guidance to a particular philosophy or particular ideology. I want to be guided to taqwa by someone who has taqwa. Alright? Okay. الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون. All right. So what are some of the bare elements of taqwa? Number one, iman بالغيب. This means several things. Those who believe in the unseen. That's the first way you can take it. Believe in unseen matters. So number one, Allah Taala is unseen, right? You have not seen Him, right? Okay. Angels are unseen. The Prophet for us is unseen, not for Saba. Jannat and Jahannam was unseen. Many things were unseen. Okay. Ghayb doesn't just mean unseen in terms of your physical, visual perception. Ghayb also means unascertainable, undemonstrable, un- non-empirical. People who have gone beyond rationality and empiricism and demonstration, who are willing to believe in things that cannot be ascertained at or arrived at by the intellect. That's ghayb. So one is that they believe in those things. Second meaning, however, is yu'minuna bil ghayb they believe by means of the unseen. Baha is sabab. That's another way to take it. In other words, faith is not empirical for them. The source of their faith is not something that they can see. It's something inner. It's a feeling. It's their qalb. And that's going to come and I'll do it when, when, the, when that word first comes. I'm going to explain that to you. Just leave it as a foreshadowing for now. Qalb. Qalb is unseen in you. Qalb is the heart of your ruh. That's on the basis of which they believe on. They believe on the basis of their come. There's a feeling, a knowledge by experience, an inner feeling, an inner knowledge. It's by means of that that they have iman in Allah subhanahu So Allah subhanahu is teaching us in Quran that faith is not rational. The aql is too weak to contain faith. It's like taking a 10-ton truck and trying to put it in the scales that, you know, they used to weigh gold? Those are very tiny, fine scales. They can weigh grams. You can never put a 10-ton truck, truck on that. So to put iman in the paymana of the aql is to do it in injustice. Alright? But that will come because the aqilun and tafakkirun is coming and I'm going to explain to you what those words mean when we do that. Second thing, وَيُقِيمُونَ salah. Allah Ta'ala could have said, They pray salah. They offer salah. No. وَيُقِيمُ Qiyam means they are firmly established upon. That's how you would want to translate. They are firmly established upon salah. It's an inseparable attribute of their life. Alright? But you in order to simple say, you say namazi. Abbina, you have taqwa and yukimun sa. Abbi katana namazi parizgar banda. Abna biurdhimi katakali adu banyadi safat. Katana ki namazi parizgare. Right? You got that from Surah Bakara. <laughs> That's where you got it from. Muttakin and yukimun salah. Muttakin is prahezgari, prahezgar, and yukimun salah is namazi. Right? Wa mimma razak nahum yunfikun. This can mean zakah. This can mean sadaqah. This can mean spending the wealth they earn according to the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This can also mean that they use, they use every blessing that Allah has given them according to the will and wish of Allah. Sometimes when I teach Quran, we explain this, what I just did to you called the knob. When you turn the knob, what you do is you're extrapolating the meaning. Umum al-ma'na. You see, when you keep the knob at zero, you take the literal meaning. So they spend of that which Allah has given them, it would mean money. When you turn the knob, right, it can mean, and they make use of the blessings that Allah has given them, both financial and otherwise, right? So sometimes when you turn the knob, you can create a wider meaning. Now this is a big thing that how, how to turn the knob, when to turn the knob, and who gets to touch the knob. Nay, someday. All right. Bad news for you, you don't get to touch the knob. 
good news for you that enough great people have touched that knob and turned it enough to fulfill all of your needs until the end of time. You're just not aware of it yet. And that's why you feel the need to touch it. Okay. Okay, now we have speed, speed. Speed. Okay. And they also believe in the, all the books that were revealed. They believe in that book that was real to them and all those books that were revealed to those who were before them. Alright, that's understood. They believe in the Quran and they believe. And me and you, we believe that Allah Ta'ala revealed the Torah. We believe that He revealed Injil because we believe Sayyidina Islam Islam was a prophet. The, the, the Torah and the Bible and the Gospels today, we believe that they're corrupted. But we believe that there was an original thing. So what the, Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to teach us in Quran al-Kareem is that Sirat, remember they were, it's a continuous line, so that includes prophets, that includes revelations, that include books. And if you want to be a point on that line, you have to believe in everything on that line, both that has come before you and that is coming after you, such as Imam Mehdi alayhi salam. Everything on that line. They believe in everything on that line. Alright? And they have absolute certainty in the Akhirah. There are people who realize that this life is not all that there is, but they are going to be being sent into the Akhirah. Alright? We're leaving out a lot. Just very briefly, right, the difference between Iman and Yaqeen, because it's said, whereas before it was saying, Yu'minun. So now you have a new word here. Your Quranic vocabulary is going up, right? Now you have a new word, Yaqeen. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving an ishara. Look, you know, everything else was Iman, right? Here, when it comes to Akhirah, you need to have Yaqeen. You need to have Yaqeen in everything, obviously. Right? And you're going to find the word Yaqeen for a lot of those other things later on in the Quran. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that part of the basic feeling of taqwa is that they're absolutely convinced about Akhirah. Absolutely convinced that there's a next life. Absolutely convinced that this life is just fleeting few seconds. Right? And this is something I think that all of us really need to work on in the type of day and age that we live in. I think this is a very one good subject to take, especially for Ramadan. Just try to be an Akhirah-focused person. Keep thinking about Akhirah, 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 Akhirah. Next time you shop, think I'm going to the Akhirah, right? Next time you do anything, put Akhirah consciousness in front of you before you do anything. So these are the people who are on Hidayah from their Rabb, and these are the ones who will be successful and happy. Now Allah SWT in contrast is going to talk about the disbelievers. Now indeed the disbelievers. Kafaru means disbelievers, it literally means deniers. This Arabic word kufr means to deny. And what is the most ultimate form of denial is to deny the existence of Allah SWT or to deny Allah being Allah. That's another thing. There's some people who believe that Allah exists, but they don't give Him the status that He demands. They don't give Him the respect and accord that He demands. That's also kufr. Like you're going to see shortly, Iblis, he believes Allah. Iblis is not an atheist. I tell you that many times. He knows, he doesn't deny Allah exists, he's looking at Allah SWT. Right? But he denies the commandment of Allah. He denies to give Allah Ta'ala the status that Allah Ta'ala deserves, which is ma'bud, which is absolute obedience required, absolute ob- worship required. So it's not just an atheist. Kufr is not just atheist. Kufr is any person, a kafir is a person who denies Allah or denies anything Allah Ta'ala says or anything about Allah or denies to give Allah the respect he deserves. That's why we should be more scared. We let ourselves off the hook. We think I'm a non-atheist. Therefore, I'm a non-kafir. No, we may be a non-atheist, alhamdulillah. Doesn't mean necessarily we're a non-kafir. 
Forget the way Urdu, Mevu Urdu wala Fatu wala Kafir Baat Nikarra. Okay? I'm talking Quranic Arabic terms here. Okay? We should think that if I deny any commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that sense, at that moment, in terms of that act of denial, an act of kufr has proceeded from me. Because denial means, the kufr means to deny. So in the ultimate denial to deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those who deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or deny the Prophet or deny many things, it's equally the same. Whether you try to instill fear in them, whether you try to call them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or you don't. Hum la yu'minun. They're, they're not going to take iman. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was specific. It's not, it's not saying to us that we should never do da'wah or invite a non-Muslim to Islam. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was saying to the Prophet at this time, the Prophet was feeling very sad that I've come to Makkah, Makkah, I'm from Ahli Makkah, I'm from the Quraysh. Before Nabuwa, they all respected me, they all called me As-Sadiqul Amin, and now I'm trying to get them to come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they're not believing. And he, and he doesn't understand. So then he keeps trying. He goes to Abu Jal and Abu Lahab and all types of days and nights and the rain and the storm, right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to him that, look, it's not you, it's them. <laughs> That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tried to say. It's not you, it's them. So this is not going to make a difference with certain of them. It's not true for all of the unbelievers. So we're talking about a certain level of kufr here. And you're going to see other levels of kufr shortly. So what you see is there's one level of kufr at which they're beyond redemption. They're beyond hope. Even prophetic da'wah, even rahmatullil alameen going to Abu Lahab and Abu Jal couldn't change them. That's what's going on here. Now obviously they're not, you know, not every unbeliever is at that level. But that is the level. The point is that Quran is making an eternal teaching. Why? Because that level is not exclusive to Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl. Just like those two in their time and for time immemorial thereafter, they will be people who are unreachable by effects of da'wah. Alright? Now, we may not know who they are. See, the Prophet didn't know who they were either until he got this revelation. He kept trying. So our job is to keep trying because you're not going to get any prophetic ayah coming on you telling you that this person, so you keep trying. But maybe, maybe sometimes you may feel, uh, and this, now let me bring it more to more relevance to you, because again, you don't really have that many non-Muslims in that sense in your country. But if you have somebody who's not praying, or who's denying some commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you try with love, and you try with gentleness, right, and it doesn't work, you know, you should never give up entirely. What you may sometimes do out of fatigue, right, you may pause your efforts, but you should never give up in your heart. And sometimes it's also wisdom to pause your efforts because you can't be after a person so much because then their reaction is then just to sort of, you know, they turn themselves off. They will resist and they will react. All right? But as far as we are concerned, we accept this ayah that yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there will be some people who are beyond hope. But we don't know who that is. So as far as our own action, we're going to continue to have hope in everyone. All right? Take it. Now these people whom are beyond hope, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained in what sense are they beyond hope? Khadam Allah wa that Allah subhanahu wa set a seal on what? What was the seat of iman? What You see? Kulub. What is it that was supposed to have the iman that is now sealed shut? Their spiritual hearts. Their spiritual hearts. While Allah and on anything that it may have entered their ears and maybe unlocked their hearts. You see, so there's a lock that is put and there's the, the entrance to the key has also been sealed shut. Okay? Alright. And there's like a veil or a curtain or however he would translate a gishawa, veil or a curtain on their sight. And it really means their perception. It's not their physical sight. They're not physically blind, but on their perception. 
right, on their perception. Okay, some people ask that, you know, well, once Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sets the seal on somebody, they don't have free will. Many times we have explained this to some of you, that this is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreeing for them at the outset. This is the result. This is the consequence. This is what they earn themselves. It's repeated disobedience. For example, if you look at Abu Lahab and Abu Jahal, how many times did Prophet go to them, right? How many times did they get hidayah? They got to see the Prophet nothing else, right? They got to hear him. He tried and tried and tried. It's their persistent refusal. So it's not Allah Ta'ala decreed for them kufr. They chose kufr. Not once, not twice, thousands of times in their case, right? Literally, I would say even millions of times if you want to count every second as a choice, right? So at the end of the day, then, then that reaches a point, right? Just like as students, if you kept getting the Fs, right? And you keep getting them, then you're expelled. It's finished, right? Now if you say, you expelled me, now you've decreed that I'll never ever get a degree. I said, I didn't decree anything. <laughs> this expulsion was just a result of your continual and repeated Fs. Right? That's what happens over here. Okay? So it's not that Abu Lab and Abu Jal had the will and ability to accept the Prophet but they chose not to. Alright. Well, the whom adabun adim. So for this level of kufr, the one that knows iman, that sees iman, and still rejects iman, they will have an intense punishment in the akhirah. Alright? And this is referring to the fire of Jahannam. Now over here now, uh, some people have a great problem with this eternity of hellfire. Right? Many people who are raised, or, or educated rather, in you know British or American schools, or British or American influence schools, or British and American patterned after schools, right? And it, it's a feeling, and it's part of our humanity. And it was this part of our sunnah, actually, because Sayyidina Rasulullah comes and used to weep, and weep, and weep over the ayahs that talked about the Kufar and Jahannam. It pained him greatly. So it's part of our deen to be pained by this. The reason I brought up the first thing is can't be our, it can't affect us to the level of aqidah. We have to feel that pain, but in the Nabawi way. That's again something secularism does. It takes the good feeling that you should have, the feeling that the Pulse of some has, but it twists it and brings you into a belief that's outside of Islam, such that there's no such thing as hellfire. No. That, then the Pulse wouldn't have cried, right? If there was no such thing as Jahannam, then there's no need for Sayyidina Sunnah to be crying. Right? If it was just allegory and just Allah Ta'ala trying to scare people and really everybody's going to go to Jannah anyway, why would the Prophet be crying all night? So our problem is we don't cry like he did. That's, what, and that's how we have to fix ourselves. The way to fix ourselves isn't to try to come up with the theory that there's no such thing as hellfire. The way is to try to feel the same pain and sadness that members of humanity will, you know, and these were the eyes that the Prophet cried over and I'll show them to you when we do them. That they will not be able to see Allah. Allah Ta'ala will not speak to them. They will be veiled. He used to cry all night reciting these ayahs. That's Rahmatullah Alameen. He didn't just cry for his ummah. He cried for Jahannami Kufar. He cried for Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl. People who tried to kill him. <laughs> people who tried to have him assassinated. He cried for them. So that's the pain we should feel. So Jahannam is a reality. Its eternality is a reality. And the fact that any human goes there should be a source of sadness for us, like it was a source of sadness for Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Alright? That's just one of his great, incredible things. Can you imagine crying over Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl? Today nobody would cry, right? I mean, it's literally like saying, it, I mean, just, and I don't really bring up politics, but it's as if 
And I don't hold them to this at all. I wouldn't expect a person in their situation to be like this. But it's like the Palestinians crying over the Israelis. I mean, it's really hard to bring yourself to that. You see, when you have an enemy who's killing you, it's really hard. And you are genuinely a victim of injustice. But that Nabikam was like that. He was a genuine victim of injustice of Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl. And they were trying to kill him. And he still cried over them. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And praise be to Allah Subhanahu who created such a Nabi. And who made us an ummah of that Nabi. And we have to feel his feelings. We have to feel his feelings. There's no compassion like that. Secular morality can never come close to this. No way. No way any secular person has cried for their diehard enemy who tried to assassinate them. No way. They don't even know, have a drop of compassion of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They can't even compare. It's a myth that they've convinced you that they have morality and compassion and ethics and softness and you have rigidity and violence. And No, no, no. Know your Nabi, know your Deen, know your Sirah. Alright. Here. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Quran al-Karim is now talking about a third group. So Mu'mineen, very introductory passages of the Quran, right? Light overview of who Mu'mineen are, light overview of Kufar. Now a third group, they're known as Munafiq. Munafiqun normally, but many times because of the grammar, the way it comes in the Quran is Munafiqin. Right? These are those people who pretend to others outwardly that they have Iman, where inwardly 100% they don't believe. Now there may be chances of them believing, they may kind of be leading towards belief, but they don't really believe yet. But they act as if they believe 100%. This was a particular group of people in the time of the Prophet especially the start actually in Medina Manawra. So the history behind this is that in Medina Manawra, there were two groups of people, the Aus and the Khazraj. And they used to be fighting one another. And they, some of them came into Makkah Makarma, they heard about the Prophet they accepted Iman, and when they found out the Prophet was being so persecuted in Makkah Makarma, they invited him to come to their city and live there. Right? Now when he came to live there, prior to him coming, there was a person by the name of Abdullah ibn Ubay. And Abdullah ibn Ubay had been prompted, set up by the Jews actually. He was, you know, like the puppet ruler of his time. And they were counting on him then to become the leader of this community. And, but right before he could completely cement his rule, the Prophet showed up and did hijrah. <laughs> now when the Prophet came up, it's finished. Now there's no question of anybody else becoming the ruler. So actually they made, they had already accepted the Prophet as a Nabi. And then they also made him the ruler of Medina Manovra. And this is that part of the Syria where you learn about the leadership and administrative and governance skill of the Prophet Right? Now this Abdullah ibn Nabi, he felt it. Right? He was just about to be appointed and they hired somebody else, put it that way, in your terms, right? So he felt it, so he was really upset. So in the beginning, he used to oppose the Prophet openly. And he was hopeful that the Mushrikeen of Makkah when they send their armies, they would defeat the Prophet When the Prophet and Sahaba were victorious at Badr, then he realized that this doesn't look like something that's going to easily go away quickly. So then he started opposing secretly and pretending to obey outwardly. He was the first munafiq. Sometimes he's called Sayyidul Munafiqeen, the leader of the hypocrites. And then he, then he convinced other people to do like that. That okay, since the Muslims have come and they're on Medina, let's just pretend we're Muslim, but inside we're not. So here Allah Subhanahu is talking about them. So from amongst the people, there are going to be some who say, I claim that we believe in Allah Subhanahu on the Day of Judgment, but in actuality they are not believers. Now, are they trying to deceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Are they trying to deceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And are they trying to deceive the believers? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no, there's no way they're not deceiving anybody except their own selves, and they may not even be aware of this. 
They may think very well that they're successfully deceiving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, kalb. And their spiritual hearts is a disease. On the kuffar, what happens to their kulub? Maximum level of kufr, khatam, seal. What happens to the munafiq in their kulub? Marad, there's an illness there. There's a spiritual disease in their spiritual heart. Alright? فَزَادَهُمُ اللَّهُ مَرْضَ Allah Ta'ala didn't put it there. He didn't place it there. They adopted it. They chose it. Allah Ta'ala just increased it. Allah Ta'ala increased it. And this is part of Allah Ta'ala's nature that if you want to be guided, Allah Ta'ala increases you in guidance. Right? If you want to be good, He increases you, pushes you towards guidance. And if you want to be bad, He will try to bring you back. But if you keep doing it, then He'll let you go over there. He'll increase you in that as well. وَلَهُمْ أَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ So for kuffarum is what? أَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And for munafiq is what? أَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Okay, so for what's the contrast between adim and alim? Alright. Adim in Arabic means great, right? Tremendous punishment. And alim means painful or pain-giving. Alam, alam means pain, and alim means extreme pain. Now, one way to take this would just be synonyms. One way, and obviously the mufassirin, if you read this here, you would, you're going to get a feeling of what they're like. They, they, they don't leave anything. You can find pages and pages on the difference between alim and alim. Beyond our ability right now, right? Beyond uh, something to go into right now. But suggest one possibility is that Allah Ta'ala elsewhere said in Qur'an al-Karim that they are going to be in the lowest level of Jahannam. So that lowest level of Jahannam is going to be even something more great than Adim, even greater than Adim. So the notion this much I get the feeling from, from all the commentators that I've had a chance to look at, that Alim is greater than Adim. Alim is greater than Adim. Alright? Okay. Because of the lies and deception they used to tell. If it is said to them that, look, don't spread this deception and dis- discord and sort of facade on earth, but they'll say that, hey, whoa, 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 we're, we're innocent. <laughs> we don't do anything. Actually, in the opposite, not only are we innocent of spreading discord, but we are in fact muslihun. We are actually bringing peace and harmony. We are spreading harmony on earth. Right? Allah innahum humul mufsidun. Allah says, no. Allah says in Quran. And it's very strong. And part of this is Allah is trying to give them hidayah. If you were a munafik and then you heard somebody said, you know the false some these ayahs came down. And you would think, Allah is talking about us. He knows exactly, this is exactly what we do. So Allah Ta'ala was actually trying, this is actually Allah Ta'ala trying to give hidayah to the munafik. Alright? This is live hidayah Allah Ta'ala trying to give to the munafik. But again, they don't realize, they're not aware, they're not conscious, they don't accept. If it was said to them that have iman, just like all these other people have accepted iman, they will say that should we accept iman like those people, like the foolish people have, sufaha, like stupid people have? You want us to be like those stupid people? That's what they say. So then again, Allah Ta'ala responds to them. So really, a munafik would have thought that, you know, imagine like some friend came to him and who was Muslim and told him that, you know, why don't you accept iman? He says, look, you want me to be like that stupid guy? In, in, name some sahaba. That munafiq should have been shaking when this ayah came down. Oh, 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 that same word I said. I used the word sufaha when I talked to that sahaba when he came to me. Allah Ta'ala sent the word down. He's, Allah Ta'ala is trying to guide some of them out. Right? Just like sometimes you tell our parents of the children, I know, I look, I know what you did. Just confess. <laughs> right? That's this hidayah going on. 
So Allah Ta'ala is saying in Quran, that person who calls Sahaba stupid is Munafik. And Munafik in the lowest level of Jahannam. So if that person who calls Sahaba stupid is like that, can you imagine that theology that thinks Sahaba are Kuffar? That theology that thinks that a lot of Sahaba are Kuffar, doesn't call them Sufaha, calls them Kuffar. Anybody who thinks like that, that Sahaba are unbelievers, imagine what Allah Ta'ala is going to feel about them. In fact, in likelihood it make them, Allah innahum humul Kuffar. Maybe that's the job that they will get. But no, if you think the Sahaba are unbelievers, it's you as an unbeliever. It's you as an unbeliever. Alright? But they don't know it. When they meet the people who have, of Iman, they say, we have Iman. And when they're alone with their own people, literally says Shayateen, right? Shayateen doesn't necessarily literally here mean the jinn. It means there are other people who are doing works of Shaitan. Let me explain when the word Shaitan comes in plural in Quran, Shayateen. It means agents of shaitan, tools of shaitan, servants of shaitan, people doing the work of shaitan. So when they're with them, maybe they're fellows. They're fellow conspirators, they're fellow hypocrites, right? Then what do they say? We're with you. So obviously there are other humans, right? I mean, the nifaq was that with some human beings they pretend to be iman, and with other human beings they say, no, we're really with you. Now this is for something for us to think about. We do this as Muslims in two different ways today. And I want you to be clear, I don't want you to misunderstand. There's one way we do it, sometimes we have nifaq inside of ourselves. So sometimes we're sitting in front of a scholar or sheikh or alim in hamsidote. And then when we go back and meet our other dorm friends, and they'll say, yeah, right? Actually, alhamdulillah, you came out of your own sincerity. But itna bi All a friend had to tell you that oh, you went to Malana. No, 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 no. I, you know, my sister went. My sister likes him a lot. I had to drop her, so I decided to sit there also. No, no, let's go hang. <laughs> if you talk like that, then you're actually exactly fitting this Quranic description. Right? And there's a second way that we do it, which is okay, in the sense that sometimes a person is struggling. If your niyat is fine, so that one niyat is one of mockery, insincerity, deception. That's not good. Then it's resembling the mafikin. And if it's like, no, I'm weak. So when I'm with X type of people, I tell them, no, I want to be a person of taqwa, I want to follow sunnah. But when I go to the other company, I end up hanging out with them and I end up doing things and leaving my prayers. But as long as you're not doing it out of mockery and insincerity, but you're doing it out of weakness, right? Then you won't have the punishment of the munafiq, but you should realize that I have something similar to that, right? This is a problem. I have, I'm two-faced. I'm not two-faced in a deceptive, twisted, wicked way. And, but you should realize that because it's only when we realize our sins that we can get out. So this person should think that, look, if I'm going to be part-time taqwa and part-time sin, and a part-timer and have two groups of friends, how long am I going to keep doing that, right? Or have two types of activities, have some nights where I do actually go and pray Isha and listen to a talk in the masjid, and have other nights where I surf the internet and sleep without praying Isha, right? It's not just about friends. If I'm going to be doing it two ways, how long am I going to do it, right? How long am I going to do it? Might as well pick one, and if you're going to pick one, pick Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Simply speaking, why not give yourself over to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this sacred month of Shaban as well, and certainly in the sacred blessed month of Ramadan. 
So life is about choices. Quran is trying to guide us to how to make those choices. And sometimes it does so by giving us stories and examples of people who messed up those choices. Now they may have messed it up in a much bigger way. But we don't want to mess it up even on a smaller scale. Right? We don't want even a drop of nifaq in us. Right? We want that kunu rubbaneen, Allah wa banna'i har Not just three hours a day for three days of our life. Okay? Alright, inshallah. Uh, Right? So here, Mustazion, uh, what does it mean? It means translated as jokers or people who are jesting or people who are mocking or being cynical or being sarcastic. Uh, you know, uh, so what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, right? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about these people? No, Allahu yastahziyu. Okay, now Allah Ta'ala is not mocking them or being cynical, but what, it's sort of like they're jesting. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, no, I'm playing with them. They're not playing with me. They're not playing with me and the believers. I'm playing with them. How am I playing with them? Watch. وَيُمُدُّهُمْ فِي تُغْيَانِهِمْ I'm letting them. I'm giving them play. That's what يُمُدُّ literally means to extend, to elongate. I'm giving them play in their sins. I'm letting them sin. I'm letting them do it. I'm not exposing them. I'm letting them act like believers in front of the Prophet and actually be disbelievers in their heart. I'm letting them do it. I'm letting them do it. Alright? And Ya'mahun uh, means that they're uh, blind. Blind, but it also is referring to their intellect. That they're not unaware. It's again the perception thing. That they're, and they're unaware of this. They're unaware that I know. And they're unaware that I'm letting them do it. They think they're, I'm letting them do it. You see the difference? Right? So, So these are the people that they have actually decided to trade. They could have gotten huda, they could have gotten hidayah. They've decided to exchange that for what? For a dhalala. So the ba here, the ba on bil huda is what we call ba for iwat. It's an exchange. They've decided to take misguidance in place of guidance. And this trade of theirs is never going to be profitable for them. No way. They will never benefit. And this is a golden rule, by the way, I'll tell you. Never ever trade deen for dunya. Simple golden rule. Many times in life, you will be put in a situation where you have a choice that do you give a preference, not outright disobedience, but some preference. Do I prefer the dunya in this decision or do I prefer the deen? Clear-cut golden rule. Always go for deen. You will never be sad. Never. Guaranteed. Will you be slightly less financially well-off only for a short period of time? (laughs) Will you be slightly less physically pleased only for a short period of time? Never ever prefer dunya over deen. That is a trade that will never ever be successful, will never be beneficial. Okay, the example of... Okay, now here Allah Sponta is going to give two examples. Right? This is a bit of a slightly difficult passage. These next few ayahs are difficult parts of Surah Baqarah. Let me explain it to you verbally. Allah Sponta is going to give an example. Why don't you be my page turner? You keep this up as to where we are. But upside down. <laughs> Alright, so what Al-Spanta is going to do is going to give sight an example of the Munafiqeen. The first example is going to make of them. The first example 
You're going to be two types of munafiq that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention here in the Quran. One is that munafiq which is, uh, you know, zero iman, zero, beyond zero, nothing. Completely deception, like 100% kufr in their heart, 100%. And there's going to be a second type of munafiq that is two-faced, but, you know, a little bit they kind of, you know, when they are with the believers and they're kind of talking, kind of part of them does want to believe. Kind of part of them does want to believe. All right? Okay. So for the first group, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving two examples about them. What, two metaphors, similes, right? Two metaphors. The first one is that they're like people that who are in the darkness of the night and then all of a sudden a light or a fire is lit. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extinguishes that light, takes away that light all of a sudden, and then they're left in darkness. So what did this mean? So the way the commentators commented on this, they said that uh, you can understand that that light means iman, means kalima. Right? Because obviously they must be saying kalimah, must be doing the actions of iman. But when they pass away, when they die, that light is extinguished. It wasn't a real iman, so they won't take it with them to their graves. And they won't be raised up with it in akhirah. It, they did it for worldly purposes, right? In order to maybe sometimes the reason Mahafikin did it because they thought that, okay, nobody will attack us, people will be nice to us. We'll be, you know, like, you know, like sometimes Pakistani guys go to America and they act all American. And when they come back to Pakistan, they become Pakistani. Now, why do they act all American? Because they thought that, okay, well, the Americans won't trouble us if I look like them and dress like them and talk like them and act like them and drink like them because Procter & Gamble sent me to a meeting to Mithura about Yatak to they say that I just took the glass and I didn't drink, but I, I went like that faking it. I just took the air. Yatak, right? That's what these guys are doing, right? They're faking it, right? They're faking it. So, it's, they were faking it for the sake of this world, so it only lasts them in this world, right? All right. Second way... Uh, to understand uh, this is that they did light the light of Iman and the light of Iman can never be extinguished but they became blinded to it. They became blinded to that light of Iman because they chose, right? They chose Nifaq, they chose the path of hypocrisy and therefore they couldn't be guided by the Iman because it wasn't true. They weren't true to it so it wasn't actually a guiding light for them. The second example that is being given of the second group of munafikin, and those are those munafikin who are fluctuating, right? They're in a state of flux. They kind of do want to be a believer, but they don't really accept Iman. So the example that Spantel gives for them is that rain, thunder, lightning comes down upon them and they're scared. And it dazzles their eyes and it sort of means it blinds their perception. And they see the path whenever the flashes of lightning come. Right? So imagine a person in complete dark when there's a flash of lightning you can see in front of you, right? But then again the lightning goes away. So when they have their spurts of iman, they're able to get some hidayah, right? But it comes in spurts. Uh, and, you know, if they don't put themselves in the complete sunlight, they won't be completely guided, all right? So here we have now, this is your translation that you have here. So, okay. No, I did that for you already. Their situation is that of a person who kindles a fire, so I said like a light, and when it that illuminates everything around them, Allah Ta'ala takes away their light and leaves them in layers of darkness so that they see nothing. Right? So that was the example of the first group I gave you. And for them Allah Subhanahu says, Summum bukmun um yun fahum la yarji'un that these are people who are deaf and they're mute or dumb and they're blind, and they will never return to Iman. So they're also like that first level of kufr that we mentioned, they're beyond return, they're beyond redemption. Oh, and now the second example that's being given Right? That they are like the people, there's a rainstorm from the sky, as I told you, bringing darkness, thunder, and lightning. And they utter, this was also here. And they trust, they place their fingers in their ears. It means it's such a terrifying sound that they just can't bear it. 
So they tried to shut themselves away from it, right? From the thunderclaps and from the lightning sounds and all of that. And so much so that their hadr al-mawt means they're aware of death, but it's fine, they fear their death, means fearing death. They become conscious of dying because they think they'll be struck by the lightning. Wallahu muhitum bil kafirin, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has surrounded and encompassed the disbelievers. All right. Now what they think, right, and what, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling these people is just like when you feel in the storm, when you hear the lightning and thunder, if any of you, but you feel like it's charo tarafir, right? You feel like you're surrounded by it. You're surrounded by the rain. The lightning is coming from all directions. Thunder is coming from all directions. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that's the way I have them. I'm surrounding them in my might and power just the way thunder and lightning surrounds a person in a rainstorm like that. All right? Then what happens is that uh, it's yakadu means it's close to the fact that al-barku, the thunder and lightning, will take away their perception. All right? Will take away their perception or snatch away their eyesight. Every time a flash gives them light, they walk by it. Every time they have a moment of iman, they get some guidance by it. And when darkness falls upon them, they stand still. If Allah willed, now this is the contrast for the first group, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, summum, summum bukmun umyun, that they are deaf, mute, and blind. For this group, they're not deaf, mute, and blind yet. If Allah had wanted to, walau sha'allahu, lazahabe bisam'ihim wa absarim. If Allah ta'ala wanted to, we could have taken away their listening and made them deaf and take away their sign perception. So you see, they're a low level. The first level is being described as deaf, dumb, and blind. Second group is saying, as if Allah wanted, means that they have done enough sin. That Allah would be well within His right to do it, to make them like the first group. But still, this is the mercy of Allah. He's still giving them hidayah. And again, remember, Allah Ta'ala's intent is that the munafiks are listening to these ayahs. So somebody should think that, you know, it's true. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, you know these moments, I kind of sometimes feel like it. Allah, Allah Ta'ala could have taken that away from me as well. Now that's what mean you should think like. Because every one of us, sometimes we get moments, we get feelings, we feel like following the deen, we feel like praying, we feel like following the sunnah. And when we're in that we're in the zone, right? When we're riding that wave of emotion, it's like the flash of lightning. We're guided by it. But then all of a sudden, then we go back down again. And a lot of young men and women have this fluctuation and flux in their imam. Now sometimes we should think when we're in our low, that you know, especially when we're in the low after the high, or the high after the low, either one really. You should think, take it this way, the high after the low. You should think that, you know, Allah Ta'ala brought me back. He brought me to learn Quran. He's brought me to another Ramadan. If I look back at my past year, I've done so much. Allah Ta'ala, He could have totally taken out all these feelings. I've done, been such a sinner that Allah Ta'ala would have been well within His right to take out any feeling of Quran or any desire to praise Allah from me. I violated so many fajrs, I violated so many ishas, I violated so many rules. Allah Ta'ala would have been well within His right to take out this feeling from me. Look, He gave it to me again. He gave it to me again. So we should do qadr of it. We should value it. So that's why these things, don't think the Qur'an is a book of historical stories. Every single thing in Qur'an has lessons for you and me and every human being until eternity. And here Allah is teaching us that if you have that feeling, right, that you have the high after the low, well think about it. That that Allah Ta'ala, when you hit that low, He could have never given you that high again. But look, and He gave it to you again. Why don't you try never to go back to that low? Try harder this time. Make niyat of true tawbah in your heart. That you don't want to have any low after this high. Take on Alright? إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ كَدِيرٍ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-powerful over each and everything. Every heart of every human and every feeling of every human heart lies in His power and grasp. And He can change it, snatch it, and He can bestow it and ignite it whenever and however He, should, he wants. Okay, we're going to take a pause over here, inshallah. Alright.
This is your long-awaited break. Hmm? Ten minute break and so on. For ten minutes we'll get the fennels. Here, Nas, Allah is addressing humanity. He's showing the Quran al-Kareem. Now he's divided the three types of humanity into mu'mineen, kufar, and munafikeen. And now he's addressing humanity. You will find those ayahs in Quran. Ya Yuhal Insan and Ya Yuhal Nas, these two ayahs are addressing humanity. There are other ones, Ya Yuhal Ladinamur, they're addressing believers, right? So sometimes we explain to you this way, if you want to know what Quranic humanism is, as opposed to secular humanism, then you just gather all the ayahs in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya Yuhal Nas and Ya Yuhal Insan, and you will understand what Quranic humanism is. And actually Quranic humanism leads you to complete iman. Right? So the Quranic concept of humanity is nothing other than kamal iman, that you should do ibadah of your Rabb. What does this mean? That you, human being, you must, it's part of humanity to do ibadah. It's human to worship. It's human to know Allah, human to love Allah, human to submit to Allah, human to do sadza to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Allah subhanahu wa is that being who created you and created all those who came before you. Why should you do ibadah so that you become a person of taqwa? So it shows you ibadah leads to taqwa. And that's why many times, sometimes a young man and woman wants to leave sin but is not able to leave sin. One of the reasons maybe because they don't do the ibadah. That's why Allah subhanahu wa said in Quran, إِنَّ salata tanha anil fashai wal munkar that indeed the salah, the prayer, stops a person from doing things of vulgarity, of crudeness or profanity. So ibadah leads to taqwa. We need to have ibadah in our life. It's a human thing. Quran is addressing humanity. Why? Allah Ta'ala doesn't need our worship. We need Allah. We need the ibadah. Why? Because we need the taqwa. Why? Because we need the jannah. Why? Because we need the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anything and everything that is done for the sake of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is called ibadah. Anything and everything that is done for the sake of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the way that is pleasing to Him. It's near and amal. Done for the sake of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the way that is pleasing to Him, that is called ibadah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling all of humanity to do that. That same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who made the earth as a, literally it means a bed, but it means a ground, a place for you to tread upon, a place where you stand upon, a place which your gravitational attraction pulls you towards. Osama binan has made the Heaven's a firmament for you. Now, sama doesn't just mean sky. The Arabic word sama means everything that is above. It means all the levers of the atmosphere, stratosphere, toposphere, all of that means the entire solar system, galaxy. All of that has been made as a canopy. Has been made as a canopy for you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has descended from that sky. So sometimes this people with trying to gaze a scientific critique of the Quran, so the rain doesn't come from the sky, the rain comes from the clouds. The clouds are also above. As-sama'a means anything that is above the earth. Does rain come from above or not? You think even this, I think all of us know enough science to know that rain comes from above and it falls downward. Anything that comes from above and falls downward 100% fits the Arabic, وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً Alright? So Allah Ta'ala sent down water from above. Not necessary that you have to say Allah Ta'ala sent water from the skies. Here I don't know, but I would translate it, Allah Ta'ala sent down 
water from above. So, yeah, Allah Ta'ala sent down water from above. Alright? فَأَخْرَجِ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ And Allah Ta'ala has then, by means of that water which was sent down from above, Allah Ta'ala took out from that ard which was a firaj, thamarat rizqan. It took out things from it. Literally it means fruit, but it means produce, anything. It can mean vegetables, it can mean, I mean I don't know enough mineralogy, but if maybe even copper and all these elements in the earth also require rain. Maybe they're not found in barren and infertile land, right? Everything and anything that is a produce, produce, thamarat would be produce and products, of that earth by means of that water. And I think even from the biology we took in college, water is the source of life. I mean, this is the standard, standard, basic building block. Uh, and why those of you who are the sci-fi type, they may not be life on those other planets because there's not water on some of those other planets. Right? Okay. Lakum, this is key. Lakum for you. All of this done was, was Allah Ta'ala saying in Quran, it's just announced, remember. All of this was done, O insan, for you. This whole system, all of these things, all of these different fruits and vegetables and all of these different ores and metals that you shape and use in wood and cement and concrete and steel, right? All of this lakum is for you. You. But you are for me. Don't make anything else. It means don't have any partners, parallels, likenesses, any shariq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ And you know well, and you well know it, while you fully know this. وَأَنْكُنْتُمْ فِي رَيْبٍ مِمَّا نَزْنَّا عَلَىٰ عَبْدِنَا If you are in some doubt, even though Allah said, لَا رَيْبَ فِي If you are in some doubt, concerning that which we have revealed on our abd. So here Sayyidina Rasulullah s.a.w. If you are watching, is this not the first place in Quran in terms of this tertib, where the Prophet has come up, right? And what is the way, how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduce the Prophet some abdina? He's mine. So if you have any doubt over what I sent on him who is mine, if you have any doubt on what I sent on him who is mine, and this is why Sayyidina Rasulullah always taught us to first call him abd. That's why in Salah you say, Ashtamanna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasulu. Allah ta'ala is calling him abdina, abd, on our greatest abd. Right? فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِثْلِهِ Why don't you bring a surah like it? Now this is a long thing and this is something that all of you have heard, right? And many, many anecdotes about many people in history who tried to bring a surah like it and failed. Right? And even today there are some, you know, internet uh, enthusiasts who tried to make websites and they love to claim that they came up with an ayah because elsewhere it tells us in no place in Quran, bring an ayah like it. An ayah like it, a surah like it. But it hasn't happened yet. Because to bring something like it means to bring something like it in every sense. Bring a book that, first of all, people view as so sacred they won't touch it without wudu. Bring a book that you can get me hundreds and millions of people in history to memorize it. Bring me a book that people are willing to recite it. Bring me a book that people can recite every None of the internet stuff is being like that, right? And there are also poetic miracles and there are many, many miracles in this Quran. All right? Here. And then Allah subhanahu wa says, and why don't you, because it's a challenge. This is again, remember Sha'an. Sha'an of Allah subhanahu wa This is a challenge. Why don't you bring all those people who you think are helping you and are your witnesses and are your guiders, other those who you've taken as your helpers and guiders and witnesses, other than Allah subhanahu wa why don't you bring them to help you? Whoever you think you believe in, right? Bring all the atheists in the world and come up with the Quran. In kuntum sadiqeen, if you are correct. Alright? Because if something is false, why can't you create falsehood? If it's false, right? You're so weak that you can't even create falsehood? Hmm? In kuntum sadiqeen, if you were true. 
فَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلُوا Know that if you're not able to do this, وَلَمْ تَفْعَلُوا And you will never ever be able to do this. فَاتَّقُوا النَّارَ الَّتِي بُكُودَهَ النَّاسُ وَالْحِجَارَةِ Then you should start fearing that fire. And whose fuel, وَكُود means the fuel of that fire, is human beings and stones. And this is an interesting thing, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this in several other places in the Quran. The two things go into Jahannam. Human beings and stones. So you will find many, many stories in Hadith and even stories in the works of Oliya about stones. And you're going to see an ayah coming here in the Quran also about stones. <laughs> about how the stones were afraid of going into Jannah. Rocks, boulders. Hijar is boulder, right? Being a big stone. وَإِدَّتْ kafirin. Now that Jahannam, that fire has been prepared precisely for those who deny. And in this case it's talking those who deny what? Deny what? مَا نَزَّلْنَا عَلَىٰ abdina. Who are denying on what we revealed upon him. Now this may mean Quran. But actually you're going to see later on. It's going to be several days. But you're going to see. Allah subhanahu wa revealed not just Quran on the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa revealed Sunnah on the Prophet So bring me the like. Bring me a role model like him. Bring me somebody. You may bring me a David Beckham. David Beckham that a few thousand Brits of today want to look like. Bring me a human being. That for 1400 years there have always been people who wanted to look like him. Talk like him, sit like him, speak like him, act like him, feel like him, worship like him. Bring me a human being like that. That's another thing Allah SWT said. The sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. And then the challenge would be there again, the denying Quran and denying sunnah. Because that's the ma nazalna. Ma in Arabic we call this am. It means ma nazalna, every single thing. I'll do this with you later, I'm just going to say the words now. Wahi matloob and wahi ghayr matloob. Every single thing that we sent down on our abd. Alright? وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ Okay, now give glad tidings to those who believe and do righteous acts, do good deeds. So here Allah Ta'ala didn't say and do ibadah, just ibadah. No, ibadah and are good to their spouses, good to their children, good to one another. They're both there. This is another deception of secularism. It makes you think that religion is ibadah and secular morality is being a good person. Here, amal salih. What's that? That's more than just ibadah. Amal salihat are good with their rab, are good with their wife, are good with their husband, good with their parents, good with their children, good citizen, good professor, good teacher, good doctor, good whatever they do, good at their profession. That's also amal salih. It's all in Quran. So let those people know who have an iman, have ibadah, are righteous, are good in every sense of the word, that for them, annalahum jannatin tajri min tahtihal anhar. That for them there will be lush, plush gardens. Right underneath which rivers flow. And others will have a luxurious, comfortable, beautiful place to dwell for all of eternity. Alright, everything that they will be given in those jannat, they will be given you know, from every type of produce and every type of fruit in those jannat. And what will they say? They will say that well, this is the same stuff that we were given in the world. Right? And they will be given things that resemble the things that they had in the world. In other words, that you will, there will be sweetness. There will be things that you eat and drink that will be sweet. And you'll say, oh, I know sweetness. I've experienced a totally different level, but it's of some familiarity or coolness or other types of pleasure. Right? Okay. And in that, they will have azwajum mutahara, and they will have uh, pure and purified wives. Spouses, actually, I would say. So let me just leave it at that for now without getting into the discussion that the women love to get into. 
Because at least up to this point, un, without commenting on it, and maybe it's better for them I don't comment on it, <laughs> but without looking at all the other ayat and all the hadith, as it stands, azwajum mutahharat means spouses purified. But here, I cannot do that for you. I'm not sitting here to try to... In fact, I'm very much sitting here trying to make you realize that you cannot understand Qur'an without looking at the other places of Qur'an and other hadiths and other commentaries. So when it's understood this way, first meaning means that you will get your husband and wife, right? And some people will say, right? A famous joke, Bura Baba Tha. Or Kisi Malana Ne Usko Ka Ki Jannat Me Bivi Milagi Tho Usne Ka Yehi Milagi Ma Parishan Ho Gya, right? So this ayah can be for him as wajum mutahara. You will get your spouse, your husband and wife, but your husband and wife will also be pure. Because Jannat is only a place of pure. There are two ways to be purified. This probably translated as purified, isn't it? There are two, so it's not wives. I was safe now. Spouses. They will get purified spouses. Two ways to get purified. Either they were purified through toba in this world and then they got the mercy, purified by the mercy of Allah in the Day of Judgment and He sends them straight to Jannah. Or they'll have to be purified by the fire of Jahannam and then go to Jannah. But either way, once you enter into Jannah, you are purified of all negative attributes, right? All blameworthy characteristic traits. So the husband, the husband and wife will get each other absolutely pure. You will get your ideal spouse in Jannah because Jannah is a place of the ideal. You will get pure and purified in Jannah because Jannah is a place of the pure and purified. So that is one meaning of this verse. There's a second meaning of this verse which pertains to this issue of maidens and huri, so I'll do that later when that comes because that's a different word. That's a different word. All right? Okay. And they will live in there forever. Khaladu means they will dwell in there forever. Indeed, Allah subhanahu Okay, now next topic, Allah subhanahu wa Allah subhanahu wa does not shy away. means Allah subhanahu wa does not feel that it is below him in any way to coin an example to you of even that of a mosquito or a gnat or a fly or an insect or anything that is even less than that. Right? Why? Because Allah subhanahu sent Quran on human beings. And you have a human mind, right? And Allah subhanahu knows that your mind, because it was created by Him, is such that it understands by way of examples. And that many times, many people, especially the Bedouin and many people, will understand better, they will make better understand simpler examples, right? As opposed to extremely complex examples. So Allah subhanahu doesn't shy away from that. Allah saying that my job, and what Allah subhanahu is saying is, I'm not trying to have a shine shana kalam just for the sake of it. I can also speak very plainly. I can also speak very simply. I can also make simple examples because I want to give you hidayah. It's not going to be all alif la mim. Right? Okay. As for those who believe, so what do they say? Well, they say, look, that they know that all these examples, annahul haq. annahul They know instantly that this is haq from our rub. There's no question for them. What does it mean? It means that maybe they didn't understand something. Maybe they heard an example in Quran, they don't get it. The fact that they don't understand it doesn't make them like our kids today. They hear one ayah, they don't understand, they're ready to become a skeptic. They're ready to doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're ready to doubt Iman. It's not good to Iman. That's what I'm saying. No, Allah dina amnu, not like that. They may not know the meaning, they may not know the meaning, but what do they know? فَيَعْلَمُونَ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ They know it's haq. What's that? Iman bil Right? They have iman and things that maybe they don't even understand. And they have it completely. So they said, this is absolute haq and it's from my Rabb. Not only is it true, it's also my Rabbim and it's from Allah. Whether I understand it yet or not is a separate thing. Alright? Okay. And as far as those who disbelieve, well they say, they say, oh what did Allah Ta'ala mean by this? 
And you really sometimes secular progressive Muslims, they say stuff like that about Quran. And they certainly say it about Hadith, left and right. What do you think this Hadith means? How could you believe in this? What was, even if the Prophet said it, what could it have meant? And sometimes they say about Quran, what is, you know, like the, sort of the agnostic and atheist type Muslim will say it about Quran? What does your Quran say? What do you think is saying in there? Hmm? Allah Ta'ala knows that the people are going to be like this. He's describing them. يُذِلُّ بِهِ kathira. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala can also lead people astray. How many people? Few people know. Kathira. A lot of people may be led astray. Literally it means by some of the examples in Quran, but it means by Allah Ta'ala's style in Quran. The Quran is a book of guidance for the people of taqwa, and those who try to come to Quran without feelings of taqwa, yudhillu, they will be misguided. And I've seen it. I've seen Muslim popular speakers, they don't have the feeling in the acts of taqwa. They are sometimes acting intellectually, sincerely trying to understand Quran. But they get misguided. What can you do? And you can't get them out of their misguidance. They're so convinced of their position. Yudhillu bihi kathira. At the same time, Alhamdulillah, wa yahdi bihi kathira. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide a lot of people. Alright? So just because somebody quotes an ayah to you doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. Taqwa. That hidayah that brings you to taqwa. And those, only those, nobody will be misguided except those people who are fasikin. Now we have this word coming for the first time. Very simple. Fasik is the opposite of muttaqin. Like kufar was the opposite of mu'minin. Fasikin is the opposite of muttaqin. Fasik is the person who lacks taqwa. Simple. Forget the way the Urdu, in Urdu you use it as I think even a curse word. It's just a simple word in Arabic. Fasikin is the opposite of muttaqin. So only those will be misguided who don't have taqwa. Alright? Okay. Those who break the uh, covenant that they took with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Who break that pledge they made with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after they took that covenant. And they break the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They break what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them to do. And yufsiduna fil ard and they spread fasad on this earth. Alright? These, what's going to happen to these people? Ulaqum al khasirun. They will be in complete and utter loss. They will lose out. Khasirun simply means losers. They will lose out. They will lose out. كَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَكُنْتُمْ أَمْوَاتَ فَأَحْيَاكُمْ How is it that you disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when before you were not alive? Amwat doesn't mean that before you were dead. You're dis- dead is after for all of you. Amwat means non-living. Right? In other words, if you're 28 years old, 29 years old, you were um, the amwat. You were non-living. How can you disbelieve in Allah when before you were non-living فَأَحْيَاكُمْ and He brought you to life? Thumma yumitukum, and then again he's going to make you of the non-living, non-living. Thumma yuhyukum, and then he's going to bring you to life again. Again, make you non-living, your death on this world, and bring you to life again, you're raising up on the day of judgment from your grave. And then again, towards, towards him, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the ultimate return. So there's no escape. There's no escaping, you must prepare. You must prepare for that meaning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who made you, uh, who made for you everything that is in this earth. خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا Everything on earth was made for you. ثُمَّ اسْتَوَىٰ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned to everything that was above this earth, right? And you see, if you see, you don't, that's not made for you in that sense, you don't control it. You see, you have a lot of power over the earth. You're mining the earth and using the earth and your animals graze the earth. You're not mining space and the sky and all the things that are above you. But in some sense, he made it as a canopy, so that what he did, Allah turned to that which was above you, and he leveled it out, or ordered it out, or layered it into seven firmaments. 
So samawat doesn't mean skies, it means that that which is above you is layered in seven ways. Allah knows best what this means. Those who restrict that which is above just to planet Earth sometimes take a scientific tafsir of the seven different types of atmosphere. I don't remember what it is, troposphere and philosophy and this sphere. Some who say, well, no, what is above is even way beyond the Earth. It goes beyond. So some try to take solar system as one level and galaxy and then they have another way of doing it. Right? There are multiple ways. There's another way you could think. One whole level could be all the physical universe. Next level could be the angelic universe. Another level could be Jannah. Another level could be the Kursi. Another level could be Arsh. Allahu Alam. Allah knows best. But what He did do is He arranged whatever is above us in seven strata. That's, it. That's all we can say. Alright? Okay. Allah Ta'ala is the one who is all-knowing of everything. You're not going to fully understand this. Normally when this comes, by the way, when this comes in kind of a huwa bikulli shay'in alim or something like that, it's an ishara. That either what just came before or what come after is something you're not going to fully grasp. It's only Allah Ta'ala has full grasp of things. And, and, and any, any good astrophysicist will tell you that human beings will never ever be able to understand every single thing about the universe. They'll tell you it's impossible. Any good scientist will tell you that, that knowing every single detail is impossible. Whether they believe that God knows it or not is separate. But they'll say that human beings can never understand it completely. Get the pukka. When Allah subhanahu wa said to them, okay, now we have a new thing. This is the story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, which Allah Ta'ala spread out in different places in the Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright? Now, because I'm running slightly behind today, I'm going to actually maybe breeze through this today and give you more detail on when I have several options in which I can decide to do the full story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, because Allah subhanahu wa has brought it up in different places. Alright? And, and maybe then I'll explain to you why it is that Allah subhanahu breaks up these stories. So it's a little question for you to think about, right? Because you, if you were writing it, you would have written it all and you would put chapter X, Adam, alayhisam. That's it, done, right? Uh, Shukra, you weren't writing it and I wasn't writing it. Hmm? All right. But there's one aspect here. What Allah subhanahu says, وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفًا When Allah subhanahu Right? And how does Allah say, when your Rabbi is telling, he's addressing this, all of this is still going on. Or maybe I missed that, I was going to show you something. So I missed that. Anyway, so here Allah subhanahu is still addressing humanity. So what he's telling all of humanity is when your Rabbi, he's telling, we're supposed to feel it. So we're supposed to, when my Rabbi told the angels, my Rabbi, as opposed to Allah, I mean, that is Allah subhanahu but the feeling is when my Rabbi told the angels, that I indeed, I am going to place on earth my khalifa, my deputy, my representative, my naib. Right? So what did they say? The angels all responded to Allah subhanahu Ya Allah, you are going to place on earth, that person is going to create fisad. Again, fisad is discord, sedition, you know, spreading evil and etc. You are going to do that? Well, yes, because dima is going to shed blood, is going to be a cause of violence, basically. You're going to do that. وَنَحْنُ and us, us angels, نُسَبِّهُ وَبِحَمْدِكُ We are doing your tasbih and your hamd and we're glorifying you with your praise. وَنُقَنِّسُ And we are proclaiming your sanctity and your sacredness and your holiness. So here starts a bit of a little angel-human rivalry. That's going to last a second and Allah is going to finish that. The Satan-human rivalry is going to last a long time. Here's just one or a few seconds of the possibility stirrings of an angel-human rivalry. Alright, but initially this is what they say. This also shows you that although angels don't have the free will to disobey Allah, they can't talk, they can't think, they can ask questions. Right? They have, a, they have ability to engage in discourse. 
Okay? They just don't have the freedom to disobey. They have freedom of speech. They have freedom to think. They have freedom to ask or not ask or listen or hold back. But they don't have the freedom to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to them that, Look, إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ I know more than what you know. I'm more knowing of that which you don't know. That's a literal transition. Alright? وَأَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now hear what you have if you were looking at this kind of like a play. So there's no enter Adam on stage. All of a sudden, I mean, this is the part of the features of Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't always bother to set everything up for you. Next thing you know, Adam alayhi salam is there and Allah is teaching him the Asma'a kullaha. That he's teaching them all the names. Here the Mufassirin have said that what are these names? One view is that these are the names of things. The names of worldly things. The names of worldly things. But others have taken this, you know, it could be even wider. It could be even wider. Alright? Khair. Then he placed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed uh, them on, on the angels and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the angels that tell me about the names of these things. Right? So the things whose names Allah ta'ala told Adam alayhi those things were presented in front of the angels. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, now tell me about these things. In kundum sadiqin, if you are correct. Now if you think about this, right, they'll say, look, okay, we don't know these names, but we're still correct that he's going to spread violence on earth. <laughs> if you were an angel, Mustafar Mulvi was an angel, that's the answer he would have given. That look, I don't know the name of these things, but I still know <laughs> that he's going, this, this creature is going to spread Pesad on earth and is going to shed blood on earth. Right? But this Allah sponsor was showing them, and Allah Ta'ala does this to you and me a lot in life. Sometimes He humbles us, He shows us. You know what you say in Urduva, کسی اور شعبے میں تاکہ ہم زندگی کے تمام شعبے میں اپنے حیثیت کو یاد رکھیں so this is a different area right of names it doesn't have anything to do but I'm also saying that look you don't you don't know I'm giving you a proof this is my delil of what that I know what you don't know that's what I'm trying to show you here and amongst that is the names of these things and amongst that is also why I've chosen why Allah have chosen to put Sayyidina Adam and insan as a khalifa on this earth Okay, so they immediately, they don't even try. They give up immediately. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them a little dose, when He said, you know, gives them a little relaxation, they ask questions and they talk and right. The second Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, Torahs are tight, karte na. Like that's Allah ta'ala wants us to be as well. That's what Allah subhanahu is doing here. So the second He did that, what did they say? Kalu subhanaka la ilmalana. Oh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are the only being who is perfect. And worthy of being praised. La ilmalana, we have no knowledge. Illa ma alamtana, except that which you have taught us. This is a very famous dua in Quran, although the angels made it, it's there for our hidayah. This is dua we should use sometimes. This is a dua you can I'll give you one way you can use it. You can use it before your exams. Before. Not after when you think of the things you didn't know. Use it before. Humble yourself. It's a golden rule. Always humble yourself before Allah Ta'ala will raise you after. Good dua for you, for those of you who are students. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْأَلِيمُ الْحَكِيمُ Okay, this is a nice nukta to do for you why alim and hakim are together. This is a, another marifat that the Mufassirin have done that which Ismail Husna have come in pairs and why and why alim comes first, why hakim comes second. Another day, because this pair comes often, not Allah always, but I'll do this pair, inshallah, when it comes some other time. Then Allah SWT says, Oh, Adam Islam, you tell them the name of these things. Then Sayyidina Adam told them the name of those things. Then, 
Then Allah Ta'ala turned to him and said, Didn't I tell you that I know things that I know? What do I know? Inni a'lamu ard. That I, Allah Subh'ala Ta'ala, know, and I'm the most knowing, all of the things that are hidden and unknown on all of the earths and places of low, and all of the things that are hidden and known on the above and the up high, right up to Ars and Kurshi and all of that. Okay? So here what we see here, just to tell you another thing, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is alimul ghayb, in the absolute sense. Absolute sense, what does it mean? You see when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, inni a'lamu ghayb as samawati. Allah ta'ala alone knows the unseen in entirety and inherently. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given certain members of His creation, such as malaika, such as angels, such as anbiya, such as prophets, and certainly Sayyidina Rasulullah amongst leader amongst the prophets, he has given them partial knowledge of that unseen, as opposed to entire knowledge of the unseen, which is known only by Allah Subhanahu And the second difference is Allah Ta'ala's knowledge is intrinsic, inherent, untaught. And when Allah Ta'ala bestows knowledge of unseen to angels and prophets, that's not intrinsic, inherent, that's taught, bestowed by Allah Subhanahu Okay? All right. And Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala tells the angels, and I know that which you reveal and that which you keep secret. Now the suggestion that some of us have here is that the angels are saying to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, okay Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, we, you know, a couple of angels maybe inside still felt it. Why are you creating this Adam alayhi salam? Then I know what you're saying and I know what you keep inside. Alright? Okay. Then, to finalize it, this is tarbiyat. Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala doing tarbiyah of malaika. Yes? <laughs> Final stage of the tarbiyah is what? Now when we said, now here the royal we has come. When we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ To all of the angels, and it's going to come later on, and Iblis was also present, right? Usjudu li'adam, do sajda to him. Let's finish your tribute over here. Right? And after that it's finished now. Now angels have zero enmity for human beings. Alright? I wouldn't say they had enmity originally, but there's nothing. Whatever feeling was there is completely erased at this point. All of you do sajda to say Adam alayhi And what happened? Fasajadu. That each and every one of the angels did sajda illa iblis except for iblis. Now this is something I want to explain to you. And you know, I've explained this many times, but still, because some of you are new. Illa in the Arabic language means except. Every language has its own grammar. In the English language, when you use the word except then the thing that you were accepting out must have been in that group. So if I say all the boys came except for Frank, so the one I have to say except for must have been a member of that group originally to be accepted. The Arabic language isn't like that. And you're not familiar, but literally in Arabic I could say all the boys came except for a puppy. And I actually mean the dog. He's not one of the boys. But that's completely acceptable in Arabic. In Arabic grammar, illa, you can actually accept something out, what's called the mustathna, is not dakhil in the mustathna minhu, is not part of a member of that group. So people, when they read the English translation, they're saying all the, if you say it like this in English, right, and obviously when you speak English, a person thinks according to the grammar of English, when you say all the angels did sajda except Iblis, what does that make you think that Iblis was an angel, right? That he's from that group, that's not the way the Arabic functions. And later on, it's coming, and we'll do it when it comes, Allah clearly says in Quran that Iblis is from the jinn. Clear, cut, open words of Quran. So Iblis was a jinn who happened to be there. His story I will do when it comes. Right now we're doing the story of Sayyidina Adam and humanity's Khilafat on earth. Abba was takbara, and he denied the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his arrogance, 
And what happened? وَكَانَ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ He became an unbeliever. So this is what I was telling you. Belief wasn't. He didn't become an atheist. He didn't become an agnostic. He completely believes in Allah. He's seeing Allah live in front of him. He has yakin that Allah Taala exists. He's the furthest from atheism and agnosticism than anybody could be. But kana min al-kafirin. So it means that if, even if you're 100% yakin, mushahada of Allah, but you disobey even one command, and you disobey one command at the level of stubbornness, zid, juta takabur. One is I disobeyed a command out of laziness, you slept through something, right? If you disobey one command out of takabur, that is enough to make a person into the category of kufar. Alright? Okay. So then we said, we then, then now Allah Ta'ala turns back to say, Adam alayhi salam, right? There's more by the way. You know there's a whole diet that's coming in later in Quran. So you've got pieces of it. Later when it comes, I'll explain to you also why the pieces were split up in this particular way. So Allah Ta'ala said to say, Adam alayhi salam, that okay, you go and live. Now yet another person enters the scene. Hawa, Eve, right? No mention of how she was created yet, right? This is sort of jumping in time. Right, so this next dialogue, this next statement, is much later in time. This verse number uh, 39 is coming much later in time than verse number, is it 9 or 35? 35. 35 is coming much later than 34 in time sequence. So much later on, at some point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to Sayyidina Allah subhanahu that you and your wife, who say, you should go live in Jannah. Here some commentators have said that, uh, okay, his wife should go live in Jannah. And the two of you should eat from it, right? Plentiful. Enjoy it, right? Haythu shittama from wherever you want. Alright. But don't go near this particular tree. Alright? Because if you do go near this tree, and I mean eat from the tree, right? Going near it, i.e. to eat from its fruit, you will be amongst those who are unjust. Alright? This whole story is coming. A little bit's coming now, but I'm going to do it when it comes later. Okay, so shaitan made the two of them astray and he got both of them kicked out from Jannah. Let's just put it that way. Okay? When they were living in it. Okay? So then what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do after shaitan made them eat from that tree and then he got them both kicked out? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told all of them, meaning Adam alayhi salam and Hawarana and shaitan, Ihbitu, descend from here. Just go down. Go down. I.e. descend now to earth. You will be placed onto earth. Ba'dukum liba'ad that some of you will be enemies to some other Ba'dukum liba'ad and adu some of you will be enemies to some of the others so it means that some of shaitan's progeny there will be some evil jinn and they will be enemy to the good human beings right okay all right and you will have you will live in the earth you will have find in the earth for you mustaqarrun you will find uh, like you say tikana you will find a dwelling and a residence and an abode to live for you mumata'un and you will find sustenance and provision in their ilahin to some particular moment in time for a particular time period. Now what happens? Now what happens? Now let me fill in this part of the story because I just want to do part of the story of Sayyidina Adma Islam here. The story of what happens from the time of his creation till he sent down on earth I'm going to do later. Now getting back to the earth thing. So first thing I will tell you is that what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Inni ja'alun fil ardi khalifa. So the destination of Sayyidina Adam was always earth. So this is a mistake that people think that he was fallen. So the Christian concept of fallen man is a mistake, according to Islamic theology. They think that Adam was supposed to stay in Jannah forever. He was never supposed to come to earth, but he did a sin, and therefore he was kicked out. When Allah Ta'ala began the process, he said, At the very outset, the purpose of creating Adam was to send him on earth. 
contrast that again that Christians think that we were created for heaven but because of his mistake we came to earth. It's not a mistake, it's according to plan that Adam alayhi salam would come to earth. Now when he comes to earth, right, and the rest I'll do for you some other time, when it comes to earth, what happens? He feels really sad. He feels like he was kicked out. He feels like that. Why does he feel like that? You know, it's like somebody sending you into prison. I mean, just imagine being in Jannah. And according to he was in Jannah for hundreds or maybe thousands of years. And now you're on this planet, planet earth. Even if he was dropped in Switzerland, it's pretty bad compared to Jannah. <laughs> right? Okay? So he's feeling bad. But that's not what it is. He's feeling bad because in Jannah there was qurb with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in earth there's bu'ad, there's distance with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why he felt bad. Nothing to do. He wasn't missing the trees and the rivers of Jannah. He wasn't missing the fruits of Jannah. And that's the whole reason when I do that story. He wanted to stay in Jannah. He wanted to be near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now he's on earth. He's distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he feels it. So, he, so that's why he That's a punishment. Right? And he's a Nabi Wali, right? So for him, that's a real punishment. Now, he doesn't know though. He doesn't know what to do because he's not been, he doesn't know. He has no Nabi to guide him. He's the first human being. He was never a child. He was never an Ummati. He never had a childhood. He was created as an adult. He doesn't know. He's feeling feelings. He doesn't know how to express them. So here what happens is, فَتَلَقَّ آدَمُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٍ فَتَابَ alay. Here means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam alayhi salam. Here the Arabic is saying, Adam alayhi salam learned from Allah, right? Means that Allah ta'ala taught Sayyidim Adam alayhi salam some kalimat, some words of tawbah. So when Allah ta'ala taught Sayyidim Adam alayhi salam words of expression, kalimat, sentences by which to express emotion, then, fataba alayhi, then he could make tawbah. So it means then that tawbah isn't just a feeling. Tawbah is not just a feeling, that feeling has to be expressed. Has to be expressed. We need some kalimat. And that's why many times the mashayikh of the deen of Islam use this Qur'anic term, kalimat tawbah kalimat tawbah That there are words, du'as of istighfar Allah has taught us, that are words that will bring us to the, which will enable us to express and feel our tawbah In the who, and then Allah Ta'ala says about himself, huwa tawab rahim Again, some of small husna pairs that we'll do later. Allah Ta'ala is the beginning who accept, being, being who accepts tawbah and al-Rahim, we already explained that to you. That is the being who sends all of his mercy. Remember? Rahman was having all mercy. Rahim was sending all the mercy. So that's why you will see in Quran, it's always going to be a tawab. It's not going to be a tawab rahman It's going to be a tawab rahim Tawab means accepts the tawbah that prompts Allah Ta'ala to send all of his mercy down. Then, yes, okay, sorry. So, okay. Then again, I have to explain this to you in more detail, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is again saying, Kulna habitu minha jami'a. Allah is going back to that period before they came down to earth. Allah told all of them that all of you should descend from here, all of you should leave the divine presence. All of you again is in Adam al-Islam, Amahawratun and Iblis Shaitan. Now, Allah Ta'ala is saying, and when comes to you from me some hidayah, when some, my hidayah comes to you, right? Then, فَمَنْ تَبِعَ هُدَايَ That person who follows my hidayah, فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزُنُونَ That person will never have any threat, any worry. Khawf, they will never have any fear from any threat, 
and lahum yahzunun, they will have no worry, no anxiety. So Allah is giving some tasalli. After that tawbah, Allah is saying, okay, first thing, I taught you kalimat of tawbah. Second, inna huwa tawabrahim, I accepted your tawbah. Third, now I'm going to send hidayah on you, Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, make you my first nabi. And for all the future history of humanity, there will always be hidayah. And anyone who follows that hidayah doesn't need to worry, they will have heaven on earth. That's what it means. La hofun alayhim wa You can think that means heaven. They will have no threat, no fear, no worry, no sorrow if they follow my hidayah. So don't worry. I'm putting you on earth temporarily, but I will send you a system of hidayah that if you submit it, submit to it and follow it, you will have a life that is like heaven on earth. Okay. And those who disbelieve and those who falsify and claim that the signs and the ayat and the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are false and fabricated, ulaika ashabun nar. So those who will disbelieve in that hidayah that I sent to me, then they will have a lot of khawf and huzun. They will have eternal khawf and huzun. And that is known as they will reside in the fire of Jahannam. Hum fiya khadun, they will their favor. Now Allah ta'ala now addresses yet another group. So far he described, Mu'mineen described kufar, defied munafikin, and then up to now is addressing all of humanity, right? Bringing all the different traditions together and addressing them together as annas. Now Allah Ta'ala is going to address a particular group from that, Ya Bani Israel. Okay, Bani Israel, normally you translate it as the Jews, sons of Israel. The word, this word Israel was the lakab, what we call the appellation or nickname of Sayyidina, Yaqub alayhi salam. And it's meaning either in Hebrew or Aramaic or Syriac or whatever its original language is, I don't know at this moment, it means servant of Allah. It's, Ar- it's, it's the Aramaic or Hebrew equivalent of the Arabic Abdullah. Okay? Alright. So they're not literally the sons of Yaqub but they're his lineage, his spiritual lineage. The followers of the followers of the followers of Yaqub they're known as the Bani Israel. You can simply view them as Jews if you like. Remember the blessing that I sent upon you. And you should be true to that pledge that you took to me. You should be true to your pledges. And you should fear only and only me. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now he's going to try to send Hidayah in Quran on the Bani Israel. And he's addressing specifically the Jews of Medina Manara at this time of revelation. But from that time onward, all of the Jews in the world. Okay? That don't look at Jewish tradition, don't look at Jewish rabbis. Iyaya farhabun, only look at me. And if I'm the one who sent you the Torah, I sent you Musa, I sent you all those prophets, I made you chosen, I made you special, that same me is telling you follow Quran and Sayyidina Rasulullah. Same Allah saying to you. That's what he's trying to give the message. So what? Believe in that which I have sent down. Musaddikan lima ma'akum. Which is nothing else, nothing other than doing tasdeeq, verifying and confirming what you already have. That there is one Allah, that there is Jannah, that there is Akhirah, that you have to believe, that you have to worship, that you have to be good. It's just confirming what you already have. And also what you already had said that there would be a final prophet. And in fact the Jews of Medina were waiting for the final prophet. In fact, the Jews of Medina were living in Medina and near Medina because their books told them that the final prophet is coming here. But they thought the final prophet would be from Bani Israel from the line of Sayyidina Ishaq And when Sayyidina Rasulullah appeared and he turned out to be from the line of Sayyidina Ismail they couldn't, that's it, they were upset. Such a small thing, can you believe it? I mean, they went so far to do hijrah. They're actually muhajir lillah. They're moving, they migrated to Medina for the sake of the last and final prophet and messenger. 
just this small thing. So what happens is they have a lot of ta'asub on their lineage. And this is a character you find in a lot, and I'm not trying to you know, stereotype all Jews all over the world, but a lot of Jews, even nice Jews that I've met, do have this thing about their lineage. And that also led to this whole problem of the creation of the state of Israel because they very much feel it's the promised land, they're the promised ones, they're the chosen ones, right? So it's a thing with them about their lineage. And so the Prophet messed that whole up. <laughs> He's from Sayyidina Ismail Islam. He's coming from outside that lineage which they treasure and value so much. Right? Okay. Yeah. And okay. And don't become the first people to disbelieve in this Quran. Because otherwise, up to now, all the, the mushrikeen, but the Aws and Khazars were actually mushrikeen of Medina. They were actually idol worshippers or atheists or, you know, all types, and they're all believing. So you came to Medina for this Prophet, and now you're going to be the very first people in Medina to disbelieve in this Prophet? That's what I was trying to give them a Allah is addressing them. It's His mercy. It's living, merciful Hidayah. He's trying to address them. Don't sell. Bayati in exchange. Again, Baal comes for Ibuz for the exchange of my ayat, my verses on Thamanan and Kalila. Don't give this up for a paltry sum, for a small price, your historical pride. You're going to give up Akhirat and Allah. You're going to trade Allah for your historical pride? Again, again, you had it over here, right? Where was it? Uh, now, fear only me. It's about me. Allah was reminding them that it's all about me. It's not about you and your lineage and your descent, your forefathers and your ancestors. Don't mix and mingle truth with falsehood. Don't hide the truth when you know. Right? What did it mean? That they knew that he was, they didn't think he wasn't the Prophet. They were just upset that he came from the... It's not like that they said, that no, he must not be the Prophet. The Prophet must be coming from the line of Sayyidina Ishaq. No. When they heard and saw, they knew he was the Prophet. They knew it. They knew it. But they tried to hide that fact, especially from the masses of the Jews. The Jewish rabbis tried to hide that fact from their followers. Now here, interestingly, Allah Subhanahu shifts, and then Allah Subhanahu here tells the Jews, وَأَقِيمُ salah, Right? Now this is uh, a part of Qur'an, right, that you would think that, okay, Iqamat al-Salah is a hukam that is given to Muslims, right? You have this shift. So in one sense, there are two ways to look at this. In one way, the Bani Israel are being addressed, okay? And they're being told that, look, that part of being Muslim means that you should establish the prayer and you have to do all of these different things. Another way, maybe, maybe a possibility that maybe they were violating their own deen. Their own way of praying, they'd even left that. That's also a possibility to come out, right? But the strongest possibility is that Allah SWT is telling them that you should join the group of mu'mineen. So you should be regular, firmly established, Islam. you should pay zakah. It means ruku is from, right, the prayer and jama'at from the bowing position in the rakat. So you should pray with the congregation. You should join the Muslims in their prayer. And according to some commentators, at that time, the Jews, the Bani Israel, did not have bowing in their prayer. And they suggest that they added it later on as an imitation of the Muslims. Allahumma, I don't know enough about the Jewish religion to tell you that. Uh, but anyway, Allah SWT is telling them to pray with the people who pray in congregation, to join the Muslims. And to join them in spiritual. So Allah SWT is telling them, look, you're looking at it politically. You're looking at it in terms of tribes, clans, lineage. This is a spiritual community. This is a spiritual lineage. This is a spiritual continuity of prophets. Join them in ibadah. Join them in salah. Join them in zakah. 
they will retain their separate identities. Aus will still be Aus, Khazraj will still be Khazraj. The Arab tribes will still be different. You could retain your different ethnic identity, but join them spiritually. It's a spiritual thing. But they didn't realize that. They didn't realize that. Alright? Then Allah Ta'ala then tells them that do you command people to do good, right, when you forget your own self? Now this original is addressed to those Jewish rabbis who actually used to Jewish people. Sometimes they, they were Jews who accepted Islam. So sometimes they would go to their friends who had accepted in the psalm and said, you know, you're doing the right thing. Stay on it. You're do- he is the last prophet and you did the right thing. I can't, you know, for my own stubbornness, I'm not doing it, but you're doing the right thing. So I was telling them in Quran that what are you doing? You're telling people to do this and you don't do it yourselves? And you find that today. People say that, you know, right? people say that in Pakistan Urdu. Right? Right? People say that, that you're doing the right thing. And alhamdulillah, it's a good thing. And I'm, I'm saying it in the same way Allah is trying to show them the good and say, look, can't you think that you accept it, you know it to be true, you're even telling your friend that it's good that you're under truth, and you still can't bring yourself to do it? What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? That's what you should think ourselves, Allah is saying, what's the matter with you? You like it when you see somebody who's naked and muttaki? You like it. You like it when you see somebody has good akhlaq? Why can't you adopt good akhlaq yourself then also? Right? Alright. وَأَنْتُمْ تَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ And Allah saying, and you recite, now it meant their book, and you recite the Torah. So it, it would apply all the more to us, and we read Quran. <laughs> we read Quran. Right? Here comes Akal. First time it came, right? This is Akal. It's not an Iman. It's saying what you say in Urdu. Don't you have any sense? You're reading Revelation. He's addressing, because again, Banishra are not atheist agnostics, right? It's not about bare faith. They believe in Allah, right? And they believe that the book they have is scripture. They have the scripture. They read the scripture. They see the Pulse of Islam. They believe him to be the last final prophet. They even tell their friends who have converted to Islam that you're doing the right thing. All of that, and then you still don't accept Islam yourself, don't you have any akal? So it's like the Muslim today. You believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of us here, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. You believe the Prophet is the, sun, is the Prophet. You read Quran, you hear Hadith, and you still don't follow it yourself? You like it when you meet a wali. You like it, and you still don't follow it yourself? Afala taqilun. That's the akal the Muslim is supposed to have. Not the akal that leads them to atheism and agnosticism. This is an akal that leads to amal. Leads to amal. وَاسْتَعِينُ بِالصَّبْرِ Okay, take help. You need help? Take help. You're not able to do what you know to be true? Take help with sabr. Now sabr here doesn't mean, like in Urdu, say sabr, be patient when a bad thing comes to you. It means that in Arabic also, sabr here means fortitude. Himma. Himma. Be strong, steadfast, persevere. Force yourself to do it a little bit. You know praying Fajr is the right thing to do. Have some sabr means have some himma. Get yourself up. Pray it. Was salah and seek help with Allah through prayer. Formal salah and dua. If you're too weak, ask Allah to say, Ya Allah, I want to be the way you want me to be. I know it to be true. I want to follow Quran. I want to follow sunnah. I know it to be true, but I'm too weak. Alright? وَإِنَّهَا لَكَبِيرَةٌ إِلَّا عَلَى الْخَاشِئِينَ But doing this لَكَبِيرَةٌ Doing this is enormously weighty. It's a tremendous task. It's difficult to change. 
it's difficult to change. Illa alal khashin. Again, fear. What came up again? Fear. Iyaya farhabun, iyaya fattakun, and now khashin. Three different words for fear. And khushu also means humble. It means uh, fear born out of humility. That you realize that I am nothing, Allah knows everything. So fear, humility. If you have that, then you're going to be able to change. So this Quran, even though it's talking about a particular group of Jews in Medina, Allah is giving a recipe for change that can still work for us if we have the same problem. Alright? Okay, those people who uh, who are the Hashim, those people who know that they're going to meet their Rabb, and they know that they're going to be returned to Him. Then Allah says again, Ya Bani Israel, O Bani Israel, remember the blessings that I sent upon you. And وَإِنِّي فَذَلْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ And I favored you over everyone. You were the chosen ones. And if you want to remain the chosen ones, follow the chosen one, Al-Mustafa. You can still be the chosen ones. Accepting Islam doesn't, won't mean that we were chosen, we were Jews, and now we're being asked to be young as a Muslim. No. Real, ultimate realization of your being chosen the itmam, the completion of that ni'mat and fazl, is if you follow al-Mustafa, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You will be chosen. If you, you were chosen up till now. And now if you want to stay chosen, you have to follow the chosen. So it's very nice for Allah inviting them to, 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 to Islam. He's very gently inviting them to Islam. And just wait in the next two, three days. Wait till you see what they do. Allahu Akbar. Some of you may have read through Bakra before. Look how kindly Allah is inviting them and just wait till you see what they do in response to this. Allah Akbar. Khair. And fear that day on which nobody will be able to help anybody else. In other words, the Jews felt that, no, you know, okay, we happen to be, what, what happened here is the Jews felt that, okay, we happen to be Jews who were born in the time of the Prophet no problem. Those early Jews who, did, who, didn't, who lived before the Prophet who weren't asked to do this, they'll take care of us in the day of judgment. They'll say, no, no, they remain on Judaism because of their love for their forefathers. So the forefathers will take care of us. That's what they were thinking, right? So Allah is saying to them, no, no, that's not going to happen. And Allah Subhanahu says, we're not going to accept shafa'atun from who? Shafa'ah means intercession. This is going to come up later in the Quran where Allah mentions you will inter- accept intercession. Here Allah says, you're not going to accept intercession. So what does it mean? Allah is not going to accept intercession from some Ten generations ago, Jew, for the Jew who denies the Prophet That's what I'm saying. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. All right? All right. And uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they will not uh, allow me to that they will not have any help whatsoever, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will, they will not have any helper at all on that day. And... Remember, so but is it still and remember that time that when we saved you from Fir'aun, don't you remember that also? Right? That if you want to look at your history, okay, then Allah Ta'ala says, Let me remind you of certain things in your history. If you want to pride yourself on your historical tradition, remember these things that when Allah Ta'ala says that when we saved you, we saved you from Fir'aun. When? When Fir'aun was, you know, just destroying you, was was punishing you, you were in a terrible state. And you were sul adab, you were in the worst type of punishment. Yudabbihuna abna'akum, and he was slaughtering your sons. And wayastahyuna nisa'akum. Okay, he was sustaining your women, right? And here it doesn't say daughters, it says women. Khair, but he was, he was killing the, the male babies that were born because some he saw in a dream or somebody told him that one day a baby boy will grow up from the Bani Israel and he will be the cause of your downfall. So he decided to kill every single boy that was born to them. 
In that was the bala'un. So in Allah Ta'ala saving you from Fir'aun in this situation where all your boys were being killed was an ihsan, was a great help. Min rabbikum azim. It was a great help from your azim rabb. Or azimun could be applied to bala'un. It was a great help from your rabb or a help from your great rabb. Okay? Another way you could read this is if you read this that this is a test, then you could say that this was before Allah Ta'ala's help came and you were in that situation where the kids were being slaughtered. Then that was a great test upon you. From your Rabb. And now Allah subhanahu wa reminds him, and remember that time as well when we parted the seas for you, and we saved you, again from the armies of Fir'aun, and we drowned, we caused to drown Fir'aun and his armies. And you were people who were, and you were watching it, right in front of your eyes, living miracles of Allah Ta'ala came upon you. This is how much we did for you. This is what Allah subhanahu wa saying. It's almost like you would say, Allah Ta'ala ko minnat samajat kar ki koshish kar Right? Allah Ta'ala is trying to remind them of all the things He had did for them. Alright. So let me finish this one part. Then when Allah SWT says, and when we took from Musa a pledge to come to us for 40 nights, this incident of 40 nights, by the way, it's interesting, it doesn't say 40 days. And that is because in Deen of Islam and throughout, if you look, the night is the asal of worship. The day is the asal of dunya. The days where you earn in the dunya. For most people, that's why Allah does many. put barakah on earning risk in the day. Night is time for ibadah. Night is tahajjud. The Hajjid wouldn't fit in any time between Fajr and Maghrib. The Hajjid, hey, Raat Kama, Qiyamul Layl, worshipping in the night. Allah Ta'ala mentions this is coming much, much later in Quran. Standing in the night, all in the night, half the night, third of the night. Right? And so when he called Sayyidina, Musa alayhi salam, to send revelation, it's 40 day and night, it was 40, day, 40 full 24 hour days, but it's mentioned, Arba'ina Layla. Whereas normally, the Arabic way, if I was to say 40 days, right, it would have said Arba'ina Ayyam. But here Allah, so Allah Ta'ala is changing it. The normal way to say it would have been 40 days. Allah Ta'ala is saying 40 nights do an ishara. That the night is the time of spiritual communion between Allah Subh'ala Ta'ala and His servants. And it's also the time of spiritual communion that He selected for the, Him and His Nabi, Sayyidina Musa salam. By the way, this is why later on in the tradition of the Sawaf, they felt that, okay, if Allah Ta'ala has called Sayyidina Musa salam for 40 nights consecutively, doesn't mean he got wahi before and he got some wahi afterwards. But there was some intensive period where Musa was taken away and asked to go to the mountain and be sequestered, be secluded, right? Be away, disconnect from his community and spend 40 nights just in, 40 days, days and nights just engaged in worship. So the Mashaikh of the Sawwaf then from this ayah in Qur'an, because remember every single thing in Qur'an forms hidayah for this ummah. Nothing in Qur'an is just a mere historical fact. And so they said, this is part of the hidayah Allah is giving us. That sometimes for intensive spiritual training, and if a person wants, especially in that period of intensive training, to connect spiritually to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maybe they need to put in 40 days. So this was something that started in the time of the Tabai Tabin, in the time of Salaf Salin, and continues up to this day. And in the last hundred years or so, some other groups for, have taken the number 40 for other activities, not necessarily for spiritual connecting with Allah subhanahu wa through worship and communion, but for dawah and tabliq and for other things. So it's, there's not fars, it's not wajib, it's not sunnah, there's an ishara in the Qur'an, that there is something for that 40 days. There's clear, the word here is arba'in, the word is there 40. So the word is part of Qur'an. So there's something about 40. So if a person maybe goes and does dawah and tabliq for 40 days, maybe doing it for 40 days would also enable them to get some spiritual connection and communion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? But it doesn't mean 39 is perfectly fine, 30 is perfectly fine, 5 is perfectly fine. It doesn't mean that the other ones are, perfect, are not fine in any way, but the word 40 is in Qur'an. 
So it means maybe there is something special, some isha. Alright? Certainly, in the case of Musa alayhi salam, 39 wasn't fine. <laughs> and you will see later Allah Ta'ala mentions that 30 plus 10. Actually Allah Ta'ala even breaks it out later in the Quran. Saying with 30 that we need another 10. Kampuranewa. <laughs> you had to reach 40. So the adad was matlub and maksud in the case of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. But it's not necessarily been made matlub and maksud in that sense for this ummah, but it's an inshallah. Khair. Alright. What happened when Sayyidina Musa Islam went away on those 40 days is that his sahaba, now I want you to think. So imagine Sayyidina Rasulullah goes to Taif. No, don't imagine. He went to Taif. All of you know that. Imagine he comes back and Makkah Makkah sees his sahaba worshipping a statue of a calf. <laughs> Allah Akbar, he'd be stunned. So really, from now onward, when you read these, rest, when you read Quran Karim, you're going to feel sorry for Sayyidina Musa Islam at what type of sahaba he got. <laughs> really. His sahaba do crazy things. Not all of them, but some of them, a majority of them. So he goes to receive wahi, right? If you think they'd be doing lots of ibadah, oh Allah Ta'ala, send our Nabi the best wahi ever, send our Nabi the wahi he needs to guide us, make us good followers of when he comes back, whenever he comes back, let us follow his wahi, right? That you sent. That's what they should have been doing, right? He goes away and what happens? They take uh, this golden statue of a calf as a ma'bud. They start worshipping a statue. Allahu Akbar. So that is a long story. And that's the story that we will, inshallah, begin with you tomorrow. So obviously today, I did not have the speed that was required. But inshallah, you know, as we progress in the middle powers, lots of things come up again and I can go a bit faster over there. And on the first day, you know, So we thank you, Jazakumullah Khair, for coming and listening from wherever you may be and wherever you came from. And inshallah, we'll try to cover more ground every day. Inshallah, we'll finish you one way or the other. One way or the other, we're going to finish this, inshaAllah ta'ala, with the madad and nusrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these 30 days. Wa akhirun da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Make dua subhanahu rabbil ala wahab Allahumma salli ala sayyiduna Muhammad wa ala ala sayyiduna Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Rabbana tanamna anfusana wa illam takfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna man al-khawsineen. Ya Allah, ya Rabbi Kareem, we gather here on this day in the heat of the summer, Ya Rabbi Kareem, only and only to learn about you, only and only to come close to you, only to learn how to love you, only to learn how to worship and obey you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have sat with Qur'an in front of us, we have sat with your kalam in front of us, we have sat with your kitab in front of us. Ihdina, Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us the hidayah from this Qur'an, grant us the hidayah from your zat, grant us the hidayah from your sifat, grant us the hidayah from the sunnah of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi Ya Rabbi Kareem, you commanded us in Quran, Kunu Rabbaniyeen bima kuntum tu'allimoon al-kitab. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are doing tu'allimoon al-kitab. Ya Allah, we ask you to do the Kunu Rabbaniyeen. Ya Allah, we have come to this point that we have put the book of you in front of us. Ya Allah, we ask that you change our hearts. Ya Allah, we ask that you grant us the hearts of the Rabbaniyeen, the hearts of the Salihin, the hearts of the Siddiqeen, the hearts of the Awliya'i Kamileen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we wish to be your truest servants. We wish to be your loyal servants. We wish to be your loving servants. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you make us Quranic insan. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us prepare for this month of Ramadan. Let these gatherings in this month of Shaban be sufficient for our maghfirah and tawbah. And let Ramadan be a month of istikama and ma'rifah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask that you grant us sabr, grant us himma, grant us strength, grant us perseverance. Ya Allah, let us remember and learn all that will benefit us. And 
Ya Allah, just forget anything that may be harmful to us. Ya Allah, we ask that you increase our memory, increase our understanding, increase our awareness, increase our wakefulness. And Ya Allah, we ask that you accept our hearts on this day. We submit our hearts to you and present our hearts to you. Ya Allah, we ask that you write the Qur'an on our heart. We ask that you inscribe the Qur'an on our heart. We ask that you embed the Qur'an on our heart. We wish not to pass away from this world until we have felt every feeling of the Qur'an. Ya Ar-Rahman, Rabbana takabbal minna innaka anta as-sameel adeem. Wa tubu alayna innaka anta at-tawab al-raheem. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya arhamal rahimin. Amen.